hey, well, iMessage, it's end-to-end encrypted. I'm perfectly safe. Hello and welcome to episode number 135 of Grumpy Old Ben's for Monday, February 15th, 2021. I'm Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where the temperatures keep dropping and the snow keeps going up. And from America's balmy left coast, I'm Ryan Bemrose. It's balmy now? What is it? It is 31 degrees Fahrenheit out here. Woo, that is, that is, wow. That's, That's I, we might be the warmest place in the country right now. <laughs> you know, that is sad. It is a deep freeze down through the I, whole country. We're supposed oh, yeah. to get dumped down with snow today, which you got that, you know, a few we, days ago. Yeah, we got, we got our snow uh, a couple days ago. We got, uh, what is there? There's probably 11 inches out there right now, which is about five times more than we usually get in an entire winter. Because although we live way up in the north and there's certainly plenty of snow around here. Uh, in this region, we at least have the good sense to keep all of our snow up on the mountains and down in the lowlands. It's just rain. Well, that's the but, weirdness here, too, is that we don't norm, you know, we usually get snow, but then it gets to be, you know, 35, 40 degrees and then it melts. The snow just keeps coming and the temperatures are way below freezing. So it's not melting at all, which means there's going to be a problem eventually with massive housing, you know, flooding in that because all oh, of yeah. the snow is just sitting there. And when it starts melting, it's, it's not going to be good. Make sure your sump pumps oh, yeah. are See, operational. Yeah, screw all those guys living in the valleys, by the way, because we, you know, we have real geography around here. I live on the side of a hill, which means <laughs> I might have to worry about landslides, but I do not worry about floodings. The people living down in the bottom, though, they're going to be screwed when the temperature comes back up. You're just going to be like, hey, guys, yeah, it's coming. Just you may want to, you know, <laughs> want to get out of the Actually, way. Actually, the. The, the real problem we had is uh, the temperature for some reason, I don't I have no idea what happened, but the temperature spiked to about 35 last night. And then we had heavy rainstorms come in and then it froze again. Oh, well, see, that's not so the instant. I, I am pretty sure that right now, uh, you know, we all of this happened on a weekend where nobody's going to work. And right now, I'm pretty sure that everybody out on the freeways is driving into each other and in the ditches because there's got to be no traction out there and nobody going to work here and only four dead and 10 wounded in sh- shootings in chicago this weekend so i mean oh. the weather it's helping they, they turned it down They're like yeah. Eh, yeah i'll shoot you later yeah, it's, a little, you. it's too cold hell yeah i'll, I'll, I'll tell you the people who are screwed though is texas oh yeah Cause, yeah because that is a place where you know at least around here we it never gets super cold. Like it doesn't drop into the, the zero Fahrenheit, you know, whatever, but it gets cold enough and stays cold enough all winter that we, we insulate our houses. And I'm pretty sure in Chicago, there is an industry where people don't have a house in the Chicago area without having insulation in their walls. Texas though, who, who insulates their walls there? You're like, why would I do that? It's well, because it's hot out, but, uh, you want to well, keep like, like my in. mom's house, for example, I've been there, I've been there and she says, yeah, when the temperature really drops outside my, when, when she says drops, it goes to 65. 
it's 65 <laughs> outside and it's 65 inside because there is no insulation. Well, why? Well, because if it's like a thousand degrees out, then you want to be able to keep the cool inside. But that is depends. a good reason. It depends on the climate and, and air conditioning is a thing. But yeah. Um, yeah, the the latest story out of Texas, I saw Martin JJ posting a bunch of stuff is that um, they, you know, they shut down in, in a big push for green energy. They had shut down several coal plants in 2018. I don't remember if you re- recall that story, but it was it was a big win for green energy is that they had transferred 22 percent of the power in the state to wind turbines, which, by the way, are all frozen right now. So they got rolling blackouts. Of course, they have rolling blackout. There was a article I have uh, from Forbes, which was the blizzard exposes the perils of attempting to electrify everything. And this is a case of <laughs> the the actual title of the post being pretty much all you need to know. And the point is, oh, yeah. that if you don't have that backup of gas, because there is a big push for all these global warming extremists like we need to get rid of natural gas. And then you're seeing all these places where this deep freeze is coming in that uh, there's I guess there's blackouts. Uh, Podfather Adam Curry posted about some other people who have been posting about not having electricity in various areas down there in Texas. And if your heat is run on electricity and the electric goes out, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. And and they, you know, they're trying to shut down all natural gas. Adam did. A really good rant yesterday on No Agenda. The four hour show, by the way. What happened? But anyway, well, um, Adam had a great rant about the the push for green energy trying to shut down natural gas, which is way more valuable in terms of uh, heating individual homes than electricity is. Yes, it's way more efficient. That's what we have going on here. I wouldn't want to. I mean, it's interesting when you look at we use one of these little Dyson heaters and fans so in the winter i mean if you need just to heat a small room it makes sense but these little dyson things these little space heaters of any sort take like 1500 watts of power and sure to do your whole house you're it's not anywhere near as efficient and as gas you know natural gas is not really a service that you see a lot of places in fact uh, although there's you know natural gas three blocks away on the main drag um, there are no gas lines coming up the road where where I am off off the side. And so we don't have any gas service. Our our stove is electric and I've always hated it because I always want the the instant on stove thing. No, instead, you're like, OK, start the saucepan. First, you put the empty pan on the stove. You click the electric thing and then you have to wait five minutes for it to actually generate any heat. It, it OK, fine. But if if I were in the case of electric heat, the only thing that most places have around here is just little the little electric baseboard resistive heaters. Right. That are I mean, yeah, I guess they'll they'll warm a small closet. But man, if I didn't have the wood stove, we would be frozen this week. Yeah, you'd be living in the closet because that would be the only area that would be warm. You know, it's uh, it makes no sense. But then again, a lot of that Green New Deal, a lot of the climate stuff makes zero sense but if we can get meta for a minute i mean you mentioned no agenda normally i i I just i just want to mention very briefly um the uh, county executive out here uh has because uh there was a break in the weather where there was talk about there might be a thermal inversion um they put out a burn ban (laughs) no burning of wood or anything that generates smoke um 
Yeah. So, so how do you heat your house? Now? I'm I'm burning wood. Oh. Oh, well, that's good. I hope they don't show up at your door and arrest you for not dying because of hypothermia. It, it turns out there's an exception in the law that that enables the burn bans, which says that if uh, if the primary source of heat for your home is uh, is wood stove, then you don't have to listen to the burn ban. So I go with that. Makes now, sense. as far as real estate and tax reasons go, my home is heated by electric because that is, of course, you know, the the way that they want it to do. but. For the purpose of burn bans, I'm I'm heated by sto- wood stove. Well, that's good. That is very. It's good. it's good to have it both ways. I feel a little bit Democrat that way. <laughs> well, that is that's the way the system works. But I want to get meta. Just on, it's interesting because we talk a lot about how people consume podcasts, and in the troll room, which is what we use when doing our show live, we basically borrow the No Agenda Troll Room slash Chat Room that's available at NoAgendaStream.com. You want to be in there when we do the shows live. If you want to troll us, give us information, tell us we're right or why we are wrong. There have been multiple people today asking if there was a no agenda yesterday because they can't find the episode because the main no agenda site that's being used, which is generated by a user, which is the no agenda show dot net website, which looks beautiful. But for whatever reason, it hasn't updated with the latest episode all of the rss really? feeds have yeah i was gonna say the only thing that adam updates on a daily basis is the rss feed and that's where i get mine and i got it fine yes yeah, so, but i was just surprised because i didn't think most people consume this in the way of i go to the website to then download the episode i figured you know a vast majority of people would have it in a podcast player use the rss feed so everything was automatically done but obviously it's an interesting thing because there's no question now that there's a lot of people who are still going the manual route and going to the site and downloading the individual episodes. Cause there's been enough people multiple this morning saying, well, where, what happened? Where's the episode? And I, I just found that to be weird. I don't know why the site isn't updating. This is it. When there's so many moving parts in the no agenda ecosystem with different people in charge of different things. I mean, the best thing you can do is try different websites. And the episode always goes up once it's live. The show number dot no agenda notes dot com is where you can go. It's there. If you're one of those people that are looking to download it right now, that is one way to do it. But I just, you know, again, it's very meta because we kind of spawned out of the no agenda community, but then talking about a podcast from another podcast. But I mean, the reality is it's everybody's kind of connected in this ecosystem. And we've talked about how you consume this stuff. And we've, of course, we've invited John C. Dvorak to come on the show, but but you were poking the bear yesterday. What was that all about? <laughs> I, I I wasn't going to bring it up because you know we, I but I, I will because I love John C. Dvorak and I would yeah, love to have him on the show. No, I, okay. So you know me, I don't judge. <laughs> but John brought up a segment on No Agenda yesterday where he said. Uh, he was poking fun at PBS for uh, talking about the junta in Myanmar and uh, how how stupid they are that they don't know it's pronounced junta. And um, when he introduced the segment, he was talking about uh, the situation in Miramar. And I just I don't judge, but. <laughs> At the same time, whenever somebody is making fun of something and then they turn around and do exactly the same thing, that's a form of hypocrisy that I can't help but point out. That's all. See, I'm the inauguration guy. 
Yeah. And I, 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 and you, I, I don't call you on that sort of thing because you don't make fun of other people's pronunciation. But see, now you're not calling people out and calling them idiots for mispronunciating words. But I think, I think you felt a little left out and because you weren't featured on the, that no agenda clips. I think this is your way of trying to get onto no agenda because when, when John C. Dvorak says he's targeting you, I can only imagine there's going to be a super clip Ambrose coming up on no agenda at some point. Uh, actually, <laughs> to to be clear, uh, from the typo in his message, he was tagrating me. <laughs> See, you're 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 just nitpicking again. Don't do that. It's you don't need to just embrace the love. It was Valentine's Day, too. I mean, what a beautiful piece of art that one, too, that I did specifically for John, the box of chocolates instead filled with the Paps Blue Ribbon. It should have been a beautiful day of love. Where was the love, Bemrose? Uh, the, the the love is sticky in in a, a Kleenex over on the trash can right now. Uh, but I'm waiting for that because I think that would be. I mean, it's only fair. I, I mean, I took it well. I mean, I'm like, yeah, I'm an idiot. I was saying it in inauguration. Now I don't know. I, I don't think John was actually trying to make me feel bad or look dumb. No. I think he might be now with you, which I I'm. I, that's why I replied. To I, him, I like, doubt it. There, there was an emoji on there. I'm not sure what the emoji was, but I'm assuming it was some kind of a winky face. And he said it's, he was already invited I mean, to come is, on adequate bends, which I thought was great. too. It, you know, it is very possible that John C. Dvorak is now going through every old episode of Grumpy Old Benz, looking for all the places where I've misspoken. And he's building up a supercut, which will be played. And if he does, then I will laugh right alongside everybody else and then act all butthurt. <laughs> and, you know, it'll be great. But see, that supercut I, I don't think John was angry. I certainly wasn't angry. I just like poking at people when it, it, when I see hypocrisy, I see hypocrisy everywhere in the world and I can't help but poke things. That's all. I think it would be a great supercut, And I think they could use that for a whole episode. I mean, it could probably go three hours. That, that could be, you know, Adam has been talking about wanting to take some time off. If they want to take a, a three hour episode of nothing but grumpy old Ben's bloopers, I bet that'd go over really well. Yes. Yeah, he actually, I was going to, cause Adam mentioned yesterday that he thought, they would roll up until April until sometime in April and take the a day off. And I will point out to John C. Dvorak or Adam Curry, like they listen that although John, maybe because he may want to hear what you've been saying about him, the yeah, he'll, he'll hear, hear this one sometime in the future. The next time that I poke fun at him during the no agenda show. True. But there is, I just want to point out a show on April 8th, which is my birthday, which I mean, if they ever wanted to take a day off and just say, hey, grumpy old Ben's, you want to do your show live at the normal no agenda time and just fill in and and give the people a, a show. I think that could be fun and and completely unrelated. That's one of the days when you're probably going to invite somebody else on and be like, we don't need you. <laughs> yeah, but let's see, maybe Sir Gene or uh, I mean, maybe John C. Dvorak can join me. I mean, that would be a that would be a good show. I mean, Adam just was talking about taking the time off. John is a workhorse. He doesn't need to take the time off. He wants to work. Well, John has has done like me. He's he's set the level of how much work he wants to put into the show to be sustainable long term. <laughs> in John's case, it's actually still a lot of work. In my case, I mean, the level is is what I consider sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. It's Carl from Who Are These Podcasts said your level of sarcasm is worrisome or concerning was disturbing yeah disturbing yes it is all of those things it is all of those things 
but uh so that's just that's our offer and um we'll see i mean we're having a lot of fun doing the grumpy old ben's episodes and we're we're kind of treading into the no agenda territory although we're more in the tech vein but we do point out sometimes when the media totally screws things up like this morning i turned into the uh fox news website which i know and this is getting as bad. I, 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 let me tell you where you went wrong. There. Well, you probably know. <laughs> yeah, it's right there. <laughs> Going to the Fox News website because I w- I checked it yesterday because after no agenda, I was like, well, I haven't really watched a Daytona 500 in a while. I was kind of just curious on, you know, what kind of social justice stuff they're pushing, how this was all going down. And then there was a rain delay. And I saw that there was the headline, you know, there was under weather delay or whatnot that there was already, you know, the the first big wreck, like 16 laps into the race. Well, I go and look at the site this morning after watching the end of the race last night, the, the race ended here about 11 something last night. And the headline still on Fox News, which I'd like to point out, it was Fox that covered the Daytona 500. They were the ones that broadcast this. But Fox News, the headline was still horrific pileup involving 16 cars cuts Daytona 500 short shocks viewers two things one it was an average daytona those wrecks happen every year and they've been happening like that with regularity at those super speedways for the last 20 years i doubt there's been more than one or two races that didn't have a wreck that looked like that and two the headline says it cut the race short it did not <laughs> the race finished later that night the full distance but fox's headline says the wreck that happened at the 16th lap of 200 cut the daytona 500 short and they don't mention anything else in the article about that it continued about that somebody else actually won the race that there was another huge wreck at the final lap of the race so and let me try to figure out what you're saying it sounds like you're saying that journalists are idiots yeah we really are horning in on no agenda territory what i'm saying yes that's exactly what i'm saying and i you know i I know that i i'm vaguely aware that nascar is a thing but i i think i figured out exactly why it is that nobody feels like they care to watch the daytona stuff when we have interstate 45 in texas Right. Well, there's the same kind of wreck. And well, people I mean, are dying if, you, there. if you go to NASCAR to watch the pileups right now, all you have to do is watch the news on the interstates. You know, the interesting thing, I used to be a big NASCAR fan and would watch both the top two levels of the racing. So Saturday and Sunday was pretty much watching NASCAR for years and years and years until 2004 when Ozzy Guillen took over for the White Sox as a manager. And then my weekends start going back to baseball and we drifted away from the NASCAR stuff and have not watched regularly since then. Now, and, oh, and now that they're competing to outwoke them, each other. Yeah. The outwoking is not good. It is not good because that was that. Well, that was the other part of this Fox article was about Pitbull and Michael Jordan being involved in NASCAR. And this was interesting to me because they played a clip of michael jordan during the race talking to some other people and about how when he was a kid you know they used to go because he grew up you know in these in the south and he used to go to the local race shop and see what was going on and how his dad used to take him to you know the nascar races pack up the whole family 
And I'm thinking, well, I thought NASCAR was such a racist, horrible bunch of people. I mean, especially when Michael Jordan was a kid, because we're going back, what, 30 <laughs> NASCAR yeah. racist. Right. But I mean, it's like, okay, R A C E I S T. Yes. Yes. See, they play on words there. I get it. So, I mean, that whole thing didn't really ring true to me because you're pointing out that just, you know, a normal black family was going to the races 30 years ago. So this whole thing, like, oh, it's all just a bunch of white supremacists. And well, I'm sure there are bad people in every crowd of every sport. But this kind of seemed to disprove that theory a little bit. So that whole thing was. It was kind of no, odd. No, if, if if I may briefly channel some of the 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 new wokeness, the woke, uh, yeah, okay. th- those black family, they were probably just race traders. <laughs> right. You know, that's right. So Michael Jordan, you know, now is he then the ultimate race trader because he owns a team now? Well, he yes, because he made money. He achieved the American dream. Yes, if there's is- anything more race trader than that, I, I don't know what it is. This horrible country that Michael Jordan proved was really set out against people that looked like him. Oh, wait, no, that doesn't seem to make sense. But what really got me a little bit more intrigued is Dale Earnhardt Jr. did a series that ran on, I think, Peacock, which I mean, I wasn't going to buy it for. Uh, is that what uh, now Peacock wasn't the one that the Star Trek was on? Isn't that the, the no, that that's isn't that the Comcast one or? Yes, yes. The NBC so or the Peacock. NBC one. Yeah. Which is kind of Comcast. Yeah. So he, he had a, a, a by, by the way, still the worst name for a network. Yes, I know. I don't understand. Uh, then somebody paid a lot of money for that. There was a meeting where they're like, what should we call this? And it's like, yeah, Peacock. Yeah. And, and they're like, um, shit cunt. No, let's. <laughs> let's oh, I, I have an idea. <laughs> Right. I mean, we could use the same logo we've always been using and then just say what it is, because that is that is marketing genius. But he had a series, Earnhardt Jr., on old racetracks, which are no longer there. And they did, you know, they went out to the locations and they talked to the race car drivers that, you know, took part in the races there and in the history of these ghost tracks. And it was interesting. You know, some of them were one was like a family you know, like track where people could use their bicycles and running and stuff and the way some of this stuff was repurposed. But they interviewed a lot of the old time racers. And I realized what NASCAR is really missing are people that are real with personalities. And these guys that were racing in the 50s and 60s and 70s were the guys you'd want to laugh with, tell a few jokes and have a beer with rather than the polished corporate spokesmen that have really no personality of their own outside of the car, except to be like, yeah, I'd like to uh, thank the uh, no agenda guys for uh, sponsoring me and uh, the Valvoline, of course. And, uh, you know, that's all you get. You know, this the, the guys that were a part of the sport when it was big had personalities. That is what was driving people to the sport. And I think a lot of sports are the same way. Because you wanted people that you could relate to and pull for from a personal level rather than, you know, just worrying about it on a corporate level or something like that. So there's no doubt there's been a big change in the way the sport is run. And I think to its detriment, taking away that entertainment aspect of it, taking away those care. I mean, I know it was hard to replace Dale Earnhardt Sr. because he was the guiding star of that sport. He was the main personality in it. But looking back, it's like I 
I still wish I could have watched NASCAR, all these things that I missed because I wasn't around for them. And at the start of this, because that's when the sport was actually interesting rather than spoon feeding stuff to fans with information that nobody needs, you know, getting very down to the minutia of, oh, look, we can see he's at 73% on the throttle here. And this is where the, the wheel is turned. It's like, Nobody cares. <laughs> you know, it, I feel like baseball was the first sport that statistics ruined. Yes. You seem to be a huge fan of that one. Yeah, well, and that also it just did. has crept into every other sport. I, well, yeah, because baseball, I, I, it's like, you know what? I don't care what the exit velocity was of an out. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, and I genuinely do not want to know anybody's ERA or <laughs> I, I don't even want to know batting average. And that's at least a statistic I can get my head around. Yeah, and that's it. They've taken the sport. They've taken the humanity out, much like NASCAR did, taking out the personalities. Baseball has done a lot of the same thing by just doing nothing but focusing on the minutia of things, you know, spin rate of a pitch. You know, it's like nobody cares. Did it get the guy out? Even if it moved, show it. It's interesting. But nobody cares about the physics. They just want to watch and enjoy. I, I think the physics are fascinating, but it's not what I want to hear about right. when I'm trying to follow the game. Right. Because otherwise it sounds like you're in a physics class and you're like, huh, I could just be. I, you know what? Some of my physics classes were a lot more interesting than than these commentators these days. Well, that's true, too. That is true. Media, again, going downhill. I mean, only podcasts is really worth worth your time in grumpy old Ben's uh, at the top of that list. There's no question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did read a Verge article about uh, oh. it was about closing the podcast loophole. That that one was making the rounds last week. Did you catch this one? Well, that was, again, the one about censorship, right? Yes. Well, they were trying to figure out how to. Oh, we did cover this. Never mind. They're trying to figure out how to bit, censor yeah. podcasts. Well, I know we talked about the the fact. I don't know if we talked about how they really wanted to try to do it, because, you know, I mean, again, podcasting is decentralized. You can't just go to one place it's you know if everybody had to post their podcast on youtube or yeah. whatever then it would be easy to go well we can take you down but when there's literally thousands of places you can post your podcast different hosts things like that it's really really hard to keep a podcast off the radar especially now thanks to adam curry and dave jones and a cast of hundreds if not more the podcasting 2.0, the podcastindex.org, all the stuff they're doing is in order to maintain. I mean, one of the main things is to maintain a new index rather than people having to rely on Google or Apple to have the phone book of all the podcasts, you know, have that list. They're in control of it because somebody can take you off that list. So if you're relying on Apple and Apple decides to take you off the list, you're screwed. But when there is something like the podcast index, I don't care who wants to take a podcast down. There's no way they can do it. I mean, they can go well, until they take out the index. Well, like that would be the uh, that would be the big swing. I don't know uh, what legality could be behind that, but I do have a bunch uh, of stories. What on legality of was behind AWS decided to cancel parlor. Well, you know, they didn't conform to their terms of service in regards to moderation. Yeah, well, I, uh, yeah, and, and guess what Podcast Index isn't doing? They're <laughs> well, not moderating. Yeah, but they're not being hosted on AWS. I'm hoping 
they've got their own servers that are farmed in multiple places because yes that would be the one the linchpin that could be pulled or that's even the right way to use that term but you could turn somebody off if you have servers in multiple areas via different companies then it's much harder to make one phone call and get you shut off you know that's my understanding was that they are on aws but that might have changed recently yeah that's what roman is saying in the uh, troll so it's possible and uh well, yeah that's the, a- the gist of the verge article which uh, i don't have to go too far into it but i just had to to pull out some of the um it, it, let, let me know if, if it's really obvious this is from the verge but the the main gist of it is, was not uh people are trying to censor podcasts it was uh we need to continue censoring all media and podcasts are going to be difficult and here's why um, they talked uh, quite a bit about how uh, removing Alex Jones from uh, getting Alex Jones removed from Apple and Google and Twitter and uh, Facebook and YouTube was uh, they said that uh, even that, which was an obvious case of uh, uh, somebody right wing who needed to be removed, was difficult and took almost a week to try to get a coordinated uh, outcome from these companies. and it, the problem with podcasting is that there is no one centralized thing per people who with a switch to turn it off. And so we would have to create a, a concerted effort to push on all of these hosting companies at the same time. Right. Well, yeah. And, and that's the issue with all of the freedom of speech things that are going on now, which it isn't that you're saying anything technically illegal although they're trying to make it illegal in a lot of places it's we don't agree with you so we're going to have you shut down i've never been able to wrap my brain around people that are afraid of speech of what somebody is saying that that is so dangerous you must shut them up rather than you know just speak up and tell people why the other person's wrong and that's i mean i'm perfectly fine with that If somebody says something that you vehemently disagree with, then get on your soapbox and say, well, no, they're wrong. And here's why. But if you shut them up, then there's no dialogue. uh, You're you're asking for rational discussion of the issues rather than than simply censoring any views that offend you, which really just proves that you're some kind of a right wing racist or something. That's usually what they say. Yeah. If you want to uh, if you want to talk uh, about when all else fails. When when you don't have a rational argument, immediately resort to ad hominem. That seems to be the uh, hell. Not not just on, uh, not just from the the people who write Verge articles. I I've seen that on No Agenda Social, where if I make an argument and then the next thing I get is an ad hominem attack against me, I'm like, well, I guess you didn't have anything useful to say, did you? Usually not, but that is social media in its uh, in a nutshell. There's very few because people have now been taught by the Twitter model that all you have to do is yell Nazi anytime somebody posts something that you don't like rather than having that conversation. I pointed out early on in Grumpy Old Ben's the short conversation that I had with uh, the guy that played Ari Gold. Um, He's the Chicago actor. What is his name now? I can't remember his name, but Jeremy Piven that uh, he was saying something about needing to get Rush Limbaugh. He he agreed with somebody that posted, you know, they really have to get Rush Limbaugh off the air. 
and I made a comment like, well, like, you know, you can you can tell me who's worthy or who's not, who's lying or who's not. And he's like, no, but I bet you you can. I'm like, no, well, that's why I'm asking the question. I'm like, I I can. Yeah. Well, okay. Anybody who wants to speak is worthy of having their own platform to speak. Now, nobody else has to be in the room with that platform. You, You the freedom of speech does not mean freedom to be listened to. Right. But no, I'm not against I'm not for censoring anybody. Everybody who needs to speak something has the right to say it. See, that wasn't what Jeremy Piven thought, because he told me that Rush Limbaugh lies all the time. So I said, OK, oh, could you give me one? Uh, one? I'm sorry. So do all professional actors. It's their job. Well, that's fine. But I said, well, OK, can you give me one concrete example that I can see? You'll change my mind. And then he's like, ah, if I have to die. And he went away without giving me even one example. Once again, after saying and we've. You hear this about a bunch of different people, whether it's Limbaugh, whether it's Glenn Beck or Hannity, whoever, you know, this, oh, they lie all the time. Well, okay, well, show me one example then of where they obviously lied and it was proven that they lied and never, I've never once had somebody go, well, here, okay, I'll prove at least one or two of these to you. They have no yeah. evidence whatsoever. And this I'm is pretty the sure it's because concept. logic is racist. Well, it probably logic is all the more racist. And they don't even care, which is the other thing that I can't wrap my brain around. If you're going to go to that vehement length to make a point and say, ah, this guy lies about everything. And somebody says, OK, well, you know what? I'm listening to you. I'm hearing what you're saying. I want to believe what you're saying. I just need a little bit of proof. So give me that. And then I'm on your side. And then they're like, well, I can't give you proof. <laughs> well, you kind of lost the argument there. You know what else is racist? mathematics is well yeah we we did talk about that math is racist (laughs) and they're trying to change that because yeah there there was a new uh a new article about uh the uh teachers union in oregon who's trying to push this came to mind now what are they trying Uh, to do now uh well here here's here's the quote i pulled out of it the concept of mathematics being purely objective is unequivocally false and teaching it is even much less so the uh document is from the equitable math toolkit it says upholding the idea that there are always right and wrong answers perpetuate objectivity as well as fear of open conflict. <laughs> Welcome to the world. Yeah. So um, in, in the interest of coddling our children, we now need to teach them that there are multiple answers in every way. Um, the, <laughs> wait, 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 wait there. So there are multiple, multiple answers. So let's just say we're looking multiple at multiple answers to one, every math problem. Yes. Yeah. One plus one does not just equal two. Um, challenge standardized test questions by getting the right answer, but justify other answers by unpacking the assumptions that are made in the problem. So, uh, the, the math questions are now racist because they make assumptions. What? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's the same thing we've gone over before. We don't have to go very deep into it. It's just that this is, uh, this is a teachers union are now trying to get uh, your your kids. If you live in Oregon, then then your kids are going to be taught this stuff because uh, this is what the most powerful union in the state wants. Right. And you wonder why the United States is having issues competing with other countries when you cannot teach mathematics and science because you're being force fed this crap that, oh, it's all racist. You know, you can't teach somebody math. It's the same thing we talked about, the woman that had the breakdown. 
because she wanted to spell hamster with a P. And that's the way she was taught. So that was right. You can't tell her she's wrong. Well, then you can't tell anybody they're wrong about anything. And then you better shut down all the nuclear plants and everything that uh, people are working with dangerous chemicals. Because if they can just decide, no, I I don't like that mixture. I'm going to do this mixture instead. And then boom. Well, you know. Yeah, I guess you can only make that mistake once. I I just don't understand how this even relates to anybody in the tech world because, you know, code is code. There's if you every time, you know, unless you can correct me if I'm wrong here, every time you run a static piece of computer code, does it ever just give you a different result? (laughs) I mean, Uh, only if that code is racist. Oh, okay. Is most computerized code racist now or uh, I'm sure it is because it's written with assumptions baked into the code or something like i mean it's as programmers we make assumptions all the time for example when i write this line of code it will be executed that's an assumption and that's probably racist why would you execute the code was it did it kill somebody because it angered me (laughs) well that everything again any developer will tell you when when you're writing the code and it doesn't work right the first time that code angers you and must be executed yeah everything must be woke there was an article on breitbart about the police in the uk and the uk on the woke scale they're they're ahead of us in the united states oh, yes no, they are there's no question about it that uh, the articles that pre police forces in britain have recorded some a hundred and twenty thousand allegations of so-called hate speech though none of the instances have been found to have stopped any actual crime so this means police have responded over well, 120,000 allegations. How can you make a claim that it hasn't stopped crime? Think of all the crimes that never happened because these things were stopped. Yeah, I don't understand what the system is that they're going by. I don't really understand. I mean, this is putting people on a list more or less that is on your record, I guess, for six years. So if you are, uh, you know, if you're saying something hateful, they will, they will put that down on record. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You don't want, yeah, you don't, you don't need any rights in the UK. Yeah. Sorry. No, the hate crime advisor for the national police chiefs council. I mean, yes, that, that is a great position. The hate crime advisor. I mean, does that I could, mean I could be a hate crime advisor? You're like, well, here, let me tell you how to do a hate crime. I mean, I guess that, that's what it sounds like. It's the hate crime advisor. So if you're looking to commit a hate crime, I guess you go to Paul Giannassi in uh, the National Police Chiefs Council. He defended the recording of non-hate crime incidents because he says instances of hate speech could lead to, quote, dehumanization and ultimately murder. Ultimately. So, yeah. Ultimately, everything leads to murder, doesn't it? Yes. I just, um. I Yeah. You want to hear about uh, the diversity rules for the Australian broadcasting company? Are they diverse? I, a little bit. Uh, not nearly as much as, as the lack of rules would be. Um, the, the ABC now has uh, every TV production company that produces content or works with a, uh, ABC or produces content that's going to be aired on the thing. Uh, must now meet minimum diversity requirements with focuses on, uh, quote, underrepresented people and perspectives. Oh. Um, they have a diversity and inclusion commissioning guideline where, for example, uh, every show must include at least one main cast member who is indigenous, disabled, f- 
from a diverse background or identifies as LGBTQI plus. Not sure what the I is there for. Um, and also at least half, at least half of the main cast and crew must be female or identify as gender diverse. So <laughs> if, if it's exactly half, you're, you're okay. If they, if one woman quits, you have to shut down production until you can hire another one if you're at half. So you really, you need a lot more than that. Yeah. This comes down again to your choosing people for a position of employment based strictly upon the way they look, what their gender is, what their sexual orientation is, all the things I thought we were fighting against. It's gotten switched. Yeah. Well, no, we're 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 only fighting against it when it goes one direction. We're we only fight against sexism if there are more men. If if it's all women all the time, then that's not sexist because power dynamics or something. Yeah, that's acceptable uh, then. And then they have uh here's here's some requirements for non-scripted shows, for example, you know, meaning documentaries and such. Uh, content must quote explicitly and predominantly explore issues of identity relating to underrepresented groups, including indigenous matters, gender or cultural diversity, or have a specific focus on LGBTQI communities, people with disability or other underrepresented groups. Um, you can't just make a, a, a documentary, a, a World War II documentary or something. You have to Ooh, good point. focus part of the document documentary on diversity and the stories of underrepresented groups you mean so on, it, on information you probably can never have or will never get because this stuff wasn't yeah. really talked about like you said world war ii uh how do you make that if you can't i mean that's- well, i mean you, you know something like world war ii it, it, it there's probably enough information you could even make that even though frankly i think it'd be a less interesting documentary if if they focused entirely on on the feelings of some minority family somewhere instead of just showing a bunch of pictures of planes blowing up ships with torpedoes which is what i go to the documentaries for right like people going to the nascar races for the exactly uh, or or, yeah or or look at the traffic cameras on i-45 yeah, bacon I only, dude. I only watch for the crashes. Bacon dude, yes, this is the end of entertainment. That's his question from the troll room. And yes, I we the end of entertainment has already started going down the wokeism path unless they can figure out a way to pull out of this, but it doesn't look like they are. The people are doubling down and tripling down into this stuff. And I don't understand it because I still don't think this is what a majority of people want. And if that's not what a majority of people want, then the entertainment will fall flat. Nobody will watch. So getting your point across, this again is the same thing as silencing podcasts you don't agree with, because this isn't let's try to engage with people in a meaningful way about these topics and try to get them on board. This is shoving stuff down people's throat. And yeah, and and taking editorial control away from the people who are creating. Yeah. And, you know, as as anybody in production in in video or you know, production in Hollywood will tell you if if you are the creator, then your immediate enemy is the the bureaucrats and suits at the network who think that they have a clue what your thing should be about. But really just want to take away editorial control and force you to make what they want, even though they're not, you know, there, there's a reason that they're not directors and, and writers. So, you know, if somebody in down in Australia said, Hey, you know what? We want to make a mini series about the Beatles. Well, how do you make this about indigenous people? LGBT. You have to make at least two of them women and one of them black. 
Yeah, okay, sure. That's interesting. Uh, John Lennon is played by Queen Latifah. <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, if if you want it to show up on the ABC, that's what you got to do. Uh, it, it, the other option, of course, is that if you're in Australia and you want to be able to make a documentary and maintain some kind of editorial control, you're not going to be putting it out on the Australian broadcasting company. No, that's true. That is true. Uh, do they have any other odd requirements or was that pretty much it on the? Uh... Uh, the, the requirements is you have to be, you know, go woke or go home. Go woke or go home. Well, okay. Yeah. Um, you, you have to like, when you make a documentary, at least part of it has to focus on diversity. Uh, I, I, I kind of glossed over this, but the, the, at least half of main cast must be female, which is, uh, automatically limiting because if you want, if for some reason you're doing, uh, you know, if you're doing a show about a company of Marines, um, the, the less than half of Marines are, are female, but somehow, you you got I mean you got to do your documentary about an all female group or something. But uh, yeah, if you wanted to make a show about a bunch a whole bunch of gay guys, well then that doesn't work because they the have to be female to- gay guys. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Putting yeah. these kind of quotas uh, in a sense makes sense. Although, uh, but, but just just to cover one of the things I kind of glossed over was uh, that also applies to crew. So half of your crew must be female or identify as gender diverse. And what if these are jobs that women don't want to do? Well, then you're going to have to convince some of the guys to identify as gender diverse. I mean, do you, I, or, or you or you shut down your production. That's kind of what has to happen. Is grumpy old uh, Ben's in trouble or do you do you uh, are you like diverse enough? I mean, what do you what do you I uh, have a female cat on my lap. That's got to count for something. Yeah. OK. Yeah. That's that's in one part of the uh, I guess the good category. I just wasn't sure if you are identifying as a particular. I identify group as Sir Bemrose. That's or, plenty diverse for me. And does Sir Bemrose identify as any particular particular nope. uh, sexual identification or gender identification? Nope. No, he doesn't. Um, <laughs> what's your pronoun is he. That is good. We need to know that the uh, I mean, I don't want to come under fire. We have people that listen in Australia. I don't want to come under fire in Australia and be banned. In the uh, oh, we're never going to be show. We're never going to be played on the ABC anyway. So I think we're probably okay. That's true. That is true. I mean, although I will say one thing about Australia, they didn't blink when it came to big tech, and big tech tried to strong arm them, and it turns out uh, big tech blinked. Oh my God, this is an interesting they, story. Oh, what happened? The uh, well, we've talked about this on Grumpy Old Ben's, which was in regards to. The news content from local sites and Australia wanting big tech to pay their local publishers in order to index the content. Now, this is interesting because we, we, as we talked about when we covered this, Google News, I mean, we all know how this works when the search engines have their news, which is they give you the headlines, but then they send you beyond a short blurb. They send you to the actual site that has the news and this is how hyperlinking has always worked <laughs> this yes, is welcome to the World Wide web right and now this was the strong arm tactics was the australian government said no facebook google if you're going to use our news you're going to have to pay and one i still don't even understand the whole concepts behind all of this and how you're going to enforce this but it seems the before this weekend came around like a week or so ago, Australia 
heard from back from Google, which was, you know, if you're going to continue to push this legislation, we Google, we're going to pull out entirely out of Australia, which I thought they should have done uh, 10 years ago. They did that with China, but it's not the same Google today. No, it's a little different. And Australia said, ha, you're not going to strong arm us, ABC. And I guess over the weekend, uh, Google gave in. They're working on a deal with the Australian publishers in order to keep doing business in Australia. Uh, well, to, to keep selling the Australian citizens to their advertisers, you mean? Well, yes, because that is, as we know, where the money comes in. So the concept that this wasn't just about Google News, because I think there's a lot of people in Australia who don't use Google News. I don't use Google News. There's plenty of sources. If you Once you know the sources you like, you go and you check those. I mean, Google can be helpful at times, but it's not my main newspaper. Where for a lot of people, I'm sure it is. I mean, not Harry Hamster. He is a Chicago Tribune guy. But there's a lot of people that just go, I'm sure, to Google News or Yahoo News. And this has now replaced watching it nightly news or this has replaced a newspaper. And it's a combination of sources. Everybody gets, I think, how that works. Now, this is not how people are. This is not how Google's making their money in Australia. I'm sure they're maybe making a little. They're making all their money on the search. And I think Google either misunderstood or thought the Australians were morons because they thought maybe they were going to. Australia didn't understand that. No, all their citizens using the Google search makes Google way more money than paying a small pittance in this. you know, it is kind of a strong arm tactic to pay for this. It is, you know, news. So I don't know who I feel is uh, in the right here. I'm sure. I, I, I didn't feel like when we brought this story up a couple months ago, I didn't feel like there was any good guys in the story. No, it, I agree. Like, like so many, you know, giant corporation versus giant corporation versus giant government entity. There, there's no good guys that didn't. And the losers is always the people. Um, it just just to be clear, Google doesn't make money on search. They make money on advertising. Right. Which, uh, which, which comes from search, which well, the yes, the the number one place where uh, ad, Google advertising is shown is on their search page. But they just I mean, if if you block all ads, then Google doesn't make as much money. If then again, if you use a different search engine, Google doesn't make as much money, which probably a more wholesome solution. Uh I bet if you polled a number of the average Australian people, you would come up with uh, an equal number who think that Google are being totally evil here and an equal number who think that their own government are a bunch of moronic idiots and, and douchebags. So, um, yeah, I, I is it wrong of me to, to like the, the ideal outcome is that they both lose kind of which it was uh, your your ex employer. This was great out of the Breitbart article said. At the same time, other operators, including Microsoft, have been quick to offer to step in and fill the gap with Microsoft pushing its Bing search engine. I can only assume what this was like, you know, hey, Google, Google's <laughs> telling Australia, can you blame them? Yeah, we're going to cut you off. And Microsoft's like, hey, have you tried Bing? You know, it's like uh, I, I, I mean, from a business perspective, I can't blame them. And also from the perspective that Microsoft has always been uh well, let's just say they're they're the last company that wants to take a stand. They're always really quick to jump in, be like, oh, authoritarian regime. Yeah, here, let us help you out if we can make a little bit of money on it, yeah. which is very capitalistic. But at the same time, uh, a little bit sleazy. Yeah. 
Roman comes up with the uh, the line that you know, that should be the slogan, I think, is Bing. We're not Google. Just like Grumpy Old Ben's, it's good. That <laughs> it, well, Grumpy Old Ben's is good, and Bing is not Google, and that's probably its biggest selling point. Yeah, truth and advertising. Duck, duck, go. Also, yes. not Google. So, if you have an Apple device, I uh, do. a Macintosh in particular, well, no, not no. not an iPad. This this affects Mac OS, uh, and you are thinking about upgrading to Big Sur, which is Big Mac OS eleven point two. Did you say Big Sur? Big Sur. Is this, is yes. this a Nick the Rat thing or? Uh... No, this is a, I'm missing my front tooth thing and, and oh. sibilance is a thing. Okay. Sorry. Uh, yeah. A big, big sur. sur. Big, big sewer sounds like a way better operating <laughs> big, system. Big sewer sounds like the name of the operating system as far as I'm concerned, but I've never been enamored with Macintosh the way some people are. Um, but if you are updating to Mac OS 11.2, um, there is a bug in the installer and it's a doozy of a bug. Uh, the, Whenever an operating system is upgraded, one of the first things that the upgrader tries to check is, do we have enough free space on the drive to install the update? Right. The free space check doesn't work correctly. Uh And the result is that if you have a full hard drive and you run the updater, um, then it will run through. It will overwrite the boot sector with the new one. It will attempt to reboot into the new operating system and it will fail with an uh, quote an error occurred preparing the software update at which point it will uh lock up and you will have no choice but to reboot your system which when you reboot your system it will then pop up an error occurred preparing the software update you seeing where i'm going with this it seems like a loop yeah you you soft lock your computer into a boot loop if you attempt to install mac os 11.2 without a enough hard drive space um it requires 36 gigabytes available during installation plus the 13 gigabyte installer that you've already downloaded for uh roughly make sure you have at least 50 gigabytes free before you ever attempt to install this 50 gigabytes isn't that hard to come by but some people are digital archivists and run with permanently full hard drives so it's something to be worth uh something to be concerned about um the official suggestion for fixing this by the way is to erase your hard drive and then restart the update and then restore from backup you did take backups right right yeah you always have to have a backup a lot of people don't and again that which which points to another really fine piece of advice ever before ever trying to upgrade your operating system from one version to another is take a backup first yes i mean well honestly my thing before i start buying uh you know new computers was to pull out the old hard drive buy a brand new hard drive install the updated operating system and then take the data you need off the old drive and you always have that old drive to go back to if something goes horribly wrong i mean you don't have to do that with normal like little incremental updates but if you're going from like windows 7 to windows 10 that was kind of the way i would go I, i i know this is more paranoid than is quite necessary in all cases but years and years and years of testing windows updates from version to version especially when we were installing a new build every day uh I learned that, um, well, here's the thing. Uh, it's not, it was never well tested within the company to upgrade from version to version, uh, at least before Windows 10, which was, I worked on seven and eight. Uh, so if you, if I do an update of Windows, um, I am doing a clean install and then restoring my data. 
that is the way you should do it. I mean, if you want to be safe, (laughs) there's a, there's something. Well, it's not that they don't, they, they put a massive amount of effort into the update system to just be able to carry your data over. But Windows, especially, there are uh, so many, you know, hundreds of billions of permutations of settings and and components and how things are working that it's really impossible to test them all. And it seems like every couple of years when Microsoft comes out with some update where it's like, oh, actually, don't update to this version yet until we get a hot fix because our updater kind of causes your kitchen to catch fire. You're like, but the computer's not in the kitchen. Like, yeah, we do it somehow. Yeah, it's, we we are very good. It's connected to your oven. You don't want to be a part of that. Did we, I don't but know if I it's ever- not. It's not just a Microsoft thing. Apparently, Apple also has this kind of updater bug. So keep backups. Yeah, always keep backups. And now, I don't know if I ever asked you this question. We've talked about a lot of stuff on Grumpy Old Ben's, but I don't buy into the operating system rot. <laughs> you know, this this idea that. Every year, you should just wipe everything and start fresh. I've never done that. I have computers that have run for years without any issue on an operating system. And is the operating system rot a thing? Or is that really only if you're uh, it's- doing things that you shouldn't be or if you have a hard drive that's failing i mean that i get that there can it's be- not time that causes it it is a real thing and uh you know places where that sort of thing shows up uh, okay first of all obviously hardware failure is a is a huge contributing thing if if you've got if you've got a drive controller that suddenly misses a bit every 10 million bits then uh you're going to see evidence of what looks like rot especially when you do a write and it writes the wrong bit and then you don't find out until six months later when it tries to access that file for example uh so yes hardware failure can't but even working hardware uh the biggest thing that contributes it I mean, rot is effectively, it's a buildup of entropy in your system and entropy in software is just a configuration and files and state in some way other than what was tested, what the developer expected. Uh, the only configuration that is guaranteed to be tested all the time uh, really, really well is installing from empty hard drive installing clean that's that's the only one that you know for sure that they are always testing so what is what is the software rot well in windows it usually takes the form of stray registry keys sitting around or or random files appearing in your app data directory or things and which time really shouldn't slow things down at least not um, now with ssd you know the 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 place where it slows it down, and, and this is not very much, but the place where, you know, stray files slows things down is, is when you are, you are indexing everything on the hard drive, for example, then the bigger the index is, the slower the search is. Uh, when you are, uh, you add things to the registry, then the, you know, at, at any given time when a registry hive is loaded, which is almost always if you're booted up, then that takes up main memory and takes up space to, to search memory. So every, every registry, search will have to search past all of the stray data the the registry is one of the primary places for rot because um the msi system and the windows installer wizard has never been very good oh yeah Uh, it it you know it in particular, uninstall never exactly undoes what an install does every single time that you uninstall software it 
leaves a little bit of stuff. You often it'll leave configuration files in. It might leave something in program files directory. Uh, if you ever install a piece of Microsoft hardware, there is always things like update fragments that, that get left there. The directory is still there. So you can check it and you're like, but there's only three files in this. Um, it always leaves crap in your, in your user profile. Um, usually that's by design because uh, configuration is kept there and a, a lot of software developers are like, well, if they configured it this way and then they uninstall the software and then they reinstall later, wouldn't it be nice to be able to just bring back all their configuration? Right. Well, that's great, but it means leaving files in your user profile. Um, right, which is where nice developers, the uninstall includes. Do you want to delete nuclear data as well? Yeah, yeah, but but that's a, a pop-up dialogue, which is is something that apparently is to be very frightening to people and, and must be avoided at all costs. True. What is, what is your thought on things? I'm sure there's multiple companies that make software like this. Every now and then I use a software from IOBit, which is like uninstaller pro or something that looks for all the registry keys that are associated with something that you're uninstalling and then showing you those keys and giving you the option to delete those. Is that, relatively safe the only method that i've ever found that is reliable and safe because what you're talking about is a heuristic search and heuristics can be very good but they're never going to be 100 percent. right there's always going to be something it missed and more importantly there's always going to be the chance that it catches something like if you if you have another another piece of software from the same company then it might heuristically go well this is you know this this Thing from you know you tried to uninstall firefox and it says mozilla so we're going to remove the mozilla key and suddenly it nukes thunderbird right so um it, 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 i would say they probably got a pretty good rate of success but you're not if you're looking for 100 percent. the only thing i've ever found that's completely reliable doing that is if you install something particularly invasive that tracks every registry write and every file write during install right. and during the running of it and then can replay those logs in order to remove them and i i've seen utilities that do that they're usually on the invasive level of of system antivirus and e- even if you want to run a system level antivirus the the worst thing you can possibly do is run two of them and that's kind of <laughs> what this is yes yeah oh no that's the uh running antivirus side by side a lot of people don't know that there's something already existing and this has happened to a couple of machines at the uh, company where my wife works that you know they'll buy a system and then you don't even know that there's already you know McAfee or whatever was included on it and it's already running and then you try to install a second antivirus and hilarity usually ensues after that all sorts of issues trying to run two antivirus at once so always and with something as low level as antivirus, I mean, okay, there may be sometimes you don't need to do this, but if you're taking a computer that was either used by somebody else or you're switching antivirus, whatever it is, if there was an antivirus made by one company ever on that machine and you want to go to a different company's antivirus, go you might to as well pave the machine. Well, that would one be the best thing is to nuke everything and start fresh. But if you're not willing to do that, what you do is you go to. So if it's, you know, McAfee was on the system, every antivirus company so far that I've had to run into doing this for has a program on their website. So if you go to McAfee, they've got a program that will basically look for any trace of a McAfee program on your system 
and get rid of it. There are complete uninstallers. Yeah. That's what you need to do. You also known as the scorched earth policy. Yes. That is the only way to get most of these things totally off your system. Because as you said, yeah. leaving a little stray here and there, <laughs> you'll, you'll find out about it six months later when you're yeah, like, because, because a third party antivirus is, and also first party Microsoft antivirus, um, they're root kits that they are, they are, they behave similarly to malware that installs itself into kernel mode. The only difference is that it's, it's malware that's doing something you happen to want it to do. Yes. It's benevolent malware. Yeah. But, but that's what it does. It behaves like a, like a kernel mode rootkit, which is the only way that it can get the kind of low level access to be able to intercept API calls and do what it does. But it is that invasive into the operating system. So dangerous. Yeah. Uh, the other, I, I was going to say the, the other source of software rot and probably the number one place where you, you see your system slowing down is, is a technology that Microsoft developed a very, very, very long time ago and still seems to be in use, especially in Microsoft products called COM, uh, component object model. Yeah. Uh, yeah. the, if you ever run regedit, then the place where you see this is H key classes root, which is a, uh, a registry based database for all COM objects, which have been installed into the system. A, a com object is effectively a, a piece of code that can be loaded into any process as as a, a black box object that performs some service. And it's extremely valuable. It's one of the reasons why, for example, you can uh, load up VB code in Excel or you can uh, insert a, a, a SVG graphic into Word or something, because all it does is it takes the the com object that knows how to to display or edit or do something with the and, and load it in. And so it's a very extensible it, back in the day, it was called object linking and embedding OLE. Um, the problem with it is that it's registration system in order to allow every process to have access to all of these really cool chunks of code. Um, they are registered globally in your system. And that's what HK classes root HKCR is. So when you open up HKCR and you see, uh, page after page after page of GUIDs. Each one of those GUIDs is the identity of a COM object that has been installed on the system. Uh, each of those COM objects points to a DLL. It says, you know, load this DLL, hand it the GUID, and I'll hand you the, the code. And then the code does something. Uh, why does this contribute to rot? Uh, two reasons. First of all, um, when loading a COM object, Every the, the the subsystem in Windows that knows how to load a com object will do effectively a sequential search over that registry key over HKCR. If you have generic Windows comes with probably the fifteen hundred keys in there, which is already a lot, but fifteen hundred you can go through fast. But if you've uninstalled and reinstalled multiple versions of Office and multiple versions of Visual Studio and multiple versions of of uh, you know every Microsoft code again is the the worst of it, but most big chunks of software, when you have installed a lot of software, that can easily be 10,000 keys and doing a sequential search of 10,000 keys every single time you want to load an object, which the average program will load uh, dozens or even hundreds of objects. uh, It, it, it slows down the launch of every app. And when Microsoft has made 
a lot of improvements to this in terms of, okay, well, this one seems to be used a lot, so we'll cache it, right. that sort of thing. But they're still doing a search of a registry, and the more entries you dump in there, the the slower that search is going to be. That's one of the big contributors. The other is that uh, a lot of installers do not unregister their com components. One one of the reasons why is that it's very hard to tell. You know, I just told you this com component is available to all software in the system. That makes it very hard for an uninstaller to tell. Am I the only one using this component? Right. You may or, break something else. Yeah. If you uninstall it, you might break something else. That's bad. You get bug reports. You get angry users. But what's the safest thing? Well, don't even try to figure out if it's still on there. We registered the com component, but when we uninstall, we'll just remove our executables and leave the registry entry there. That is code rot. That makes sense. And for how long now has Windows, well, Microsoft been promising to remove the registry? From the Windows operating system. I, I don't know. I don't know that they can without fundamentally altering Windows. And there have been attempts to fundamentally alter Windows. But uh, like, I, like I just mentioned, the, the biggest impediment, the biggest thing, the biggest anchor holding the Windows architecture back is a, a, a piece of, of kernel in, infesting viral malware called Microsoft Office. And the Windows team and the Office team we're always at odds because office it, it, the the attitude in and, and this again is coming from somebody in windows the attitude from the office team was installing office on a system transforms that computer from a windows computer to an office computer and now that it's an office computer we can do anything we want and the level of invasiveness like malware authors would envy <laughs> the amount of invasive shit that office pulled in their installer yeah i believe it i don't use office for that reason and uh, LibreOffice is free and does everything i need so yeah, that's notepad does everything i need but yeah. Well, I'm not quite that simplistic. I mean, I like <laughs> having the uh, spreadsheets and sometimes you need a document file that, you know, can look prettier and things like that. Oh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You and your specialty needs. I get it. I know they are. They are. They're very, very special. But that is uh, an interesting concept of how everything works in Windows, which is one of the major differences between them and the Linux and even the Apple operating systems. But. I have an issue with the windows, which I have to figure out where you have an issue with windows. I know. Is that not hard to believe? But for it's, some I'm, reason, I'm wrapping my head around it. Go on. Yeah, I well, it, this comes down to the network attached storage devices and having l folders that are big, really, really big, really, really big filled with music. And if I go and while something is running live on the stream, when we're doing music and I go over to my windows Explorer replacement, which is directory opus, I would believe it would happen in windows Explorer, but I should probably test that to make sure if, if I, I just, if I may ask what, what is really, really big here? Cause I used to think way back in the day <laughs> when I was manually managing thing, I used to think a thousand entry files into, in a folder was really big. No, and no, then way more. somewhere along the line, I started working with, like real archives of, of 10 million files or so. Yeah, this so, um, is, uh, I mean, I can, I can have it do the, it can do the work. You know what I mean? Let's see. So if we go, yeah, to, but it might be the end of the show before it finishes indexing it. Maybe. So if I like click everything on, 
on my uh, main downloaded drive. So the drive that has downloaded flax, so this is folders mainly, has about uh, 18,000 folders in it. Okay. And that those are all filled then with flack files. The live music is filled with a couple terabytes. Yeah, I think I think 10 and 10 or 20,000 entries in a directory is the part where uh, Windows Explorer starts behaving pathologically. Yes. And the problem is, if I'm playing music and I hit one of these folders in the other program just to pull up that it stops everything because it's I don't know if it's interrupting pulling because there's a for loop in there that says for each entry in this thing and like i said a for loop over a thousand items is pretty damn fast in a gigahertz machine but a for loop over 10 million items you're still gonna take some time yes and it's interrupting the other thing so i don't know if there's a setting you know that i could be like ignore slow this down but always no not not without significantly altering the the architecture of the code because i guarantee what's happening is somebody is they they only tested on directories of a thousand or so items if they te- i mean if if they tested at all and they ne- and, and like the person writing this never thought to test on something that big and what they did was they put they they decided to iterate the directory on the UI thread and they're thinking well a thousand items that only takes 2 milliseconds that that's totally acceptable on the UI thread we'll just go with it yeah and, uh, and this guy know, wants a hundred thousand items takes 200 milliseconds and 10 million items takes uh, 20 seconds. Yeah. And it could just be trying to access a folder in it. So, I mean, I load up, so I have it listed, all the folders listed. I can see them. I can scroll through them, but then even clicking on one, it's like it was put to sleep or something and trying to get back into it. So I don't know if there's, I need and, to look at cold, cold acid is, is very vehement about the, the piece of advice that I would again offer to any programmer out there. Never do anything but UI on the UI thread. But, you know, in programming 101, they, because programming is difficult to wrap your head around and also because, uh, colleges aren't teaching people to do anything other than be woke activists these days. Um, yeah, I would, I would, I don't believe that multi-threaded programming is taught anywhere other than in the industry. And so if you are going out and writing a utility and you've only been taught how to do single threaded programming, then single threaded is what you're going to do. You get one thread. That one thread is a UI thread. Let's just do everything there. We'll test on a small directory. Gee, it all seems fast enough on my system. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, it almost seems like I need to use a second machine to transfer the songs I want to play to another folder somewhere that's on my local machine. And then that might work. But uh, that extra step is no fun. No fun. I just want to pull tracks and rock out. And, and to be clear, cold acid, um, the, the, what the scenario I just described with again, speculating wildly without ever having seen any of this code, the scenario that I see is somebody doing what they believe is UI, which is all what, you know, if, if all you're doing is displaying, let's, let's pop up a window and then display the files in the folder. And if you, you just decide you're going to do that, what, what are you going to do? You're going to, list all the files in the folder you're going to allocate memory to show the icons and names and then you're going to build the full list and then you're going to crop that list to the ones you can see and that works fine when there's a hundred or a thousand items in there but when there's 10 million you're now taking the time to iterate over a list of 10 million files to allocate memory for 10 million things you're going to start running out of memory you're paging like crazy you're and all of this is just 
this isn't some complicated backup system. This is trying to display it. And yeah, maybe the solution is I want to, uh, okay, I, I know that I can only display 100 at a time. So let's only read 100 at a time and allocate memory for 100 display objects at a time. But if you are not programming for scale, which very, very, very few people do, you're never going to see a situation where it makes any sense to add the complexity to just just display the first hundred items and only load in and, and create the graphic objects as you page down for the other ones. Makes sense. And Blue Douche is a good idea. I should uh, try lowering the priority, the CPU priority on directory opus, the file manager on, on to- Windows. Yeah, on Windows, yes. So that way it won't interrupt whatever's going on when the music's playing. Uh, maybe. I see. Again, I have to figure it's, out yeah. if, it, if it's actually because that's that the makes music, sense. The music's coming over the network. It's, is, it, uh, is, it, is it so is it interfering with a separate program playing music? Yes, which is the, the oddity of it is that if a song is playing, which I would think that that would already be queued up into the memory once i load a flak file into one of the decks on the program that music can be playing and if i you, go and click on huh. something in the you know windows explorer replacement which i use directory opus if i click on something it doesn't happen all the time but it's happened a few times where while that was working to open the folder the music stopped in the other program do you disable mmcss what is it? I'm, see, the question is going to be uh, apparent. If the answer is no. If you haven't heard of it, then the answer is no. Yes. Uh, is- that was a problem that we tried to solve in Windows 8. Uh, we created, uh, and in fact, I, I was one of the primary testers on this feature, which might be why it doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> we- <laughs> Yay! Congratulations. We, we created a, a some, it's called the multimedia class scheduler system, MMCSS. And it's, uh, I have seen guides out there to disable it because it does screw with the scheduler. The idea behind it is, uh, that the, there are things, uh, video to an extent, but really audio, which uh, playing audio doesn't require a lot of CPU, but playing audio requires that you get a slice of cpu every 10 milliseconds come hell or high water or you're gonna your audio is gonna skip right uh so mmcss was uh, a hack to the kernel scheduler to try to make sure that anything playing audio gets a slice of of cpu every n milliseconds no matter what even when the cpu is slammed now if the cpu is so overloaded that not even the scheduler is running then you're still going to have problems and that might be what's happening but uh there was a lot of stuttering issues in windows vista and even windows 7 that were pretty well eliminated with with this feature but i have seen guides that say turn it off because it does in fact interfere with scheduling and if you are if you're running, uh, you know, something like a folding or uh, some kind of heavy editing or otherwise slamming the CPU all the time, then right. you're going to see a little bit of a CPU bump if you disable MMCSS. So I've seen people say, oh, disable this. You don't need it. And sure, you don't need it unless you want to be playing audio while the CPU is slammed. <laughs> well, well, look at it. I see this now. Multimedia class scheduler service. And uh, Digi, I already said, I don't use Windows Explorer. I use the directory opus, which is way, way better, can do a lot of things. And that's why I was kind of disappointed 
that I was having the issue with this. I would have thought, uh, you know, you wouldn't have these issues. But as you said, Brian, uh, most people aren't trying to open a massive folder while streaming audio to a bunch of trolls. So there's that. And and more importantly, the people who write this software, I guarantee you that they do not have regular tests for folders with a million files. And, and they, you know, sure they should, but the, the added complexity that you have to write in order to avoid the, the pathological behavior in a situation that one in 10,000 users will ever encounter in their lifetime is most people would just won't, don't want to write that code. Yeah, that is uh, absolutely true. Now, music is really important because cops are weaponizing it now, which I thought this. I know we teased this on the last show, so I guess we should probably talk about this was a great story. Well, it it is from so many different levels, because in this case, if I recall, it was cops in Beverly Hills, probably because, yeah, Beverly Hills cop used copyrighted music and it says to prevent being filmed. It's like, well, no, he's not preventing himself from being filmed, but the no, that would be unconstitutional. Correct. What this does is it keeps people from posting the stuff to any of the social media sites because otherwise they'll get a copyright strike, which is genius. Oh, yeah. It's turning the system against itself. Yes. And it makes sense. It's like this is not keeping people from videotaping police officers. It will keep you from posting this online. But if there was a crime committed, you could still use the video. If you were mistreated, you could still take this to the proper authorities. You just can't post it onto YouTube or onto Twitter or wherever, because whatever music artist that they're playing is automatically their people are going to say, well, you can't use our music and remove yeah. the video. <laughs> or or the big record companies just decide to monetize it, which, right. by the way, would be a hilarious uh, scandal if if somebody in and this might happen somebody comes out and points out that hey uh sony bmg is monetizing and making money off of this video of a cop beating somebody in the street right would that not be a a delicious scandal it depends what the music is i mean okay if there's you know a bunch of cops beating somebody in the street probably sinatra i I was thinking like eye of the tiger or something though you know that might be good oh yeah something inspirational (laughs) yes and uh you we know, are the champions. Yes, there you go. You know, that we, is we will rock you. <laughs> boom, boom, psh, boom, boom. <laughs> right, but then you have to edit it so the blows come in time. With, oh yeah. Yeah. That's such a not a bad idea. That isn't a bad idea. I mean, the interesting thing about this case was here here okay, Grumpy Old Benz has met a new low. We're now plotting police <laughs> brutality. I knew it would come along sooner or later with you, but uh who knows? The interesting thing was that this cop was fine with this guy videotaping him it was something then finally with him streaming that he asked him to turn the stream off and he wouldn't but i mean the the cop was very polite to him and this just turned out to be a new tactic that they have especially for live streaming because again live streamers and we know copyright law it's a great topic here in grumpy old ben's But in this case, it's a very unique way to use it, because if you're a streamer and you get a lot of these places, it's only like two or three copyright strikes and they will take your account away. And there is no recourse. There is very little. No more streaming for you. Yeah, there's very little you can do. So this is genius. If you want to keep somebody from 
videotaping you. And also, of course, if they're muting the audio, then there's nothing you can do. So you could always videotape what's going on. But if you want, this is really comes down to if whether or not you're able to audio record a police officer and audio recording, we know is a very different thing than video because there's a lot of states where you can record video without audio in a location and have absolutely no problem. But audio recording without somebody's consent, a totally different thing. There's way more laws against it. So it's the the wiretap laws, which were all made back in the days of, of phone lines. Yes. Yeah. And that is a very important thing when it comes down to privacy. I mean, this is like, you know, the whatever the country singer was that said the N word. His albums three weeks in a row have been number one on Billboard. He sold 150,000 albums last Good week. For which him. Right now, 150,000 albums is huge in this economy and yeah. with the streaming going on. So this is, you know, and he's like, well, I, he's still taking responsibility for what he said. And it's like, you know what? The, the proper answer here is I was drunk. I was a moron. If you're going to try to cancel me, then there's really nothing I can do to do anything about it. But what people say privately with their own friends should not be made into a a federal case. But this, again, is why audio recording somebody is an important right, whether you know what can be done in your area and what can't be done. But uh, the interesting thing about this case was that this guy that was videotaping the cop admits that the cop was being very polite. He was complying had no problem with him videotaping up until a certain point when he then asked him to stop streaming it. I don't think he was even trying to get him to stop videotaping it. He just did not want to be live streamed. And then I, I, I do wonder what the, the rationale for that was because I totally understand. I I totally believe that this, the, the streamer was probably, well, okay. I'm I'm not saying this happened in this case, but in a lot of cases, a stream. I, I imagine the streamer is obnoxious as fuck, and the cop is just sitting there taking it because it's their job. And they, frankly, you're getting pretty good at ignoring all of the petty annoyances. But at some point, he gets in the way and interferes with the job. Yes. Well, this was it. The line in the sand appears, according to the Torrent Freak article, that the interaction started politely. While it's clear that Devermont is no fan of the police. Officer Fair remained calm and friendly. The sergeant did take offense when the activist deliberately zoomed his camera on his phone in on the police officer's phone while it was receiving a call from another officer. So they grabbed somebody else's phone number, which. Um, okay. Well, oh, oh, like screen grab. Okay. Well, he I was took, gonna say grabbing the phone and suddenly police brutality ensues. Vi- right. But, he was videotaping. I guess he yeah. videotaped the cop's phone ringing. With enough okay, clarity. so it sounds like the activist was being an obnoxious kid. Yes. So he was trying to then dox another cop because the cop's phone number was, you know, whoever was calling this guy, then, uh, you know, that was the issue. I mean, and I don't know why your phone shows the phone. I mean, I guess my phone shows the phone number. But I, I, I don't know why people set their phone to ring when calls <laughs> come in. But it's just, yeah. Why do you want to bother me? I don't want this to ring at all. I just just go to write the voicemail. But yes, that was the case where the guys finally like, would you, you know, please stop video recording? The guy wouldn't. So that's when he took out the phone and just start playing whatever hit of the day was on the, the uh, you know, and it, it works really well because at some point you become justified in going, okay, sir, you're, you're, you've crossed the line and we're going to take that phone away from you. But that becomes a scandal, right? right? 
but I mean, this is probably the most savvy way of doing it. And you would have I liked did. it because he played the track Santiera from the ska band Sublime. So, I mean, there you go. Some I good, like that song. Some good music to go with. Yeah. You know, it, it works. It works. And that did stop the guy. He he stopped his stream himself because he understands what would happen. And then he posted, I believe, Sergeant Fair, a.k.a. Billy Fair, is using copyrighted music to keep me from being able to play these videos on social media. He isn't and, alone. And hi- High five to Sergeant Fair is all I'm saying. Yes, it's perfectly legal to do. And this is kind of a perfect solution, I think, because you're still able to videotape the police officer. And if he breaks the law, you could use that as evidence to show he's breaking the law. But you cannot entertain. You can't make what his job is into entertainment for you to post online. I I don't think it's a perfect solution. I think it's more like two wrongs make a right. I think it is, uh, you know. This guy is is being a douche recording you. Uh, and at the same time, uh, Google has an overbearing and uh, un, it, it, it overextended copyright strike system that removes things for a bunch of reasons and is completely unfair and will punish people for doing things that would otherwise be totally normal. And you're setting up a situation where those two things run against each other and it's awesome and it's delicious, but I don't think it's very right. I mean, I understand the reason why people would want to video or audio the conversation or the interaction you're having with a member of the law enforcement community that I get that you may want evidence for what you said or what you didn't say. I understand why you would want that. But that there is a line at some point where if you're interfering with what they're doing, whether if you're intentionally instigating, I have no problem with, you know, if a cop comes up to this guy and is like, hey, I want to ask you some questions being like, I'm going to videotape this. I mean, don't get the guys try to videotape his phone or get information that you shouldn't. I mean, his badge number, whatever else. Great. I think everybody should be more than you know able to do that. But again, taking that and turning it into entertainment online is where it goes from being your civil right to I'm now taking your image and putting this up on the internet for another reason. Again, if the cop commits a crime or does something untoward, you have that evidence and you could yeah. provide that to whoever needs it. I, I, the, the cops are going to record you just in case you do a, perform a crime. Right. I think that turning that around and having a recording is, is totally legit. Yes, I agree. But, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, it, with all things, uh, more information is better, uh, more access to to it, proof that somebody did one thing or another is is better than shutting down conversations. But, you know, I've, I've always been a, a proponent of, you know, this is this is going to be one of those whack job theories that I'm, of course, known for on this show. But um, the. It, we we talk about surveillance a lot because privacy is a thing and people often don't want to be recorded. And in, in the short term, it is best to continually fight against intrusive surveillance, but there are technologies that are never going to be uninvented. And there's, there are surveillance apparatus out there that are incredibly difficult to re- reverse. And I honestly think that the, the only way to get to a good end state in that particular fight is 
universal surveillance of everything everywhere. And I know that's creepy as hell, but, but hear me out. Um, not just no. surveillance of you and surveillance of me and surveillance of, of, you know, your cat when they go to the bathroom and the litter box where he, he won't even crouch in the litter box. If I'm watching, he'll wait for me to turn away, but <laughs> that's not true. It, is it also a but, but cat. here's, here's how you defeat a surveillance state. You turn it around, you add universal surveillance to what they're doing. You you make it so that when the FBI is plotting their next six week cycle, we have access to that information. You make it <laughs> so that streaming. when, yeah, why not? They're doing it to us. And and by the way, that is equity. That is introducing equity into a situation where okay, the government is surveilling us twenty four seven. How about we figure out what they're doing too? And at some point, I mean, it should be pretty obvious by now that human norms are changing. The younger generation, the people who aren't you and I are are starting to become totally OK with the idea of their lives being open book. They're posting it to TikTok. If there's a less privacy focused way of living than that, I don't know what it is. And at some point, the all of us ancient people who care about privacy are going to go away. And at some point, I think we're going to reach a point where people are just okay with being surveilled 24 seven. I can't even walk a fucking dog anymore out here without being watched by every single front doorbell in every house. People are generally okay with that, but this is going to be a dystopian state unless we can also turn it around and say, well, in that case, we need to be able to see what big brother is doing too. I really, I apologize up front for saying something this disturbing but i think you might just want to see nancy pelosi in the shower it's possible actually uh threesome with her and uh maxine waters and nadler would totally be a hit <laughs> oh, video oh oh why why <laughs> why why, <laughs> why Bemrose? why because i hate you and i hate all of our listeners and producers and all of our experts apparently that is that has become obviously clear now and everybody can act accordingly and, uh, and and just play copyrighted music behind the whole thing. And then, then nobody will have to see it. Please. Somebody play Whoop There it is. <laughs> somebody, or, somebody, please turn on some copyrighted music already. Yes, that would be that would be the plea. That would definitely be the plea. But uh, and we do have some experts to thank. I mean, now would be a good time to do this, I suppose, because uh, I mean, I started the day. And I mean, I know the newsletter, if we had more people on it, we should be doing the newsletter yeah, I heard more. That, that nobody liked our show and that Metis was the only person who remembered we were around. That's, you know, and that was an hour before the show. I'm like, look, this is a good day. If anybody wants to get in and get an executive producer credit because uh, it was Metis at five bucks and he came in with a check and he does that monthly. And we appreciate Metis of the Fun Fact Friday show. But I'm like, hey, perfect day. And within the next uh, 45 minutes or so before the show started, we got some donations and we greatly appreciate it. It does come down the, to the John C. Dvorak model that you have to remind people that you have a show and you have to remind them that you work on the value for value model and that they get something out of your show. And that's how the system works without reminding folks that a lot of times things fall through the cracks. So that's all we did. I reminded. I didn't. I, mean, I should have used a sad, like cat picture. Yeah. Well, if you would, if you had used a puppy, then the donations would have been double. But but that kind of weaponized begging probably should only be reserved <laughs> for special occasions. Maybe. Yeah. We we need that, and or maybe a catchy jingle, 
as cold acid suggests he does a show uh rare encounter with abel kirby it's a delightful show you should check that out as well but the number one donation that came in for today at 3339 is somebody that just goes and i noticed they joined no agenda social just a week or two ago no note no other information and their name this is not just that there's a lot of people that send us a donation then ask us to use their pseudonym, but we can see their real name in PayPal because most people, you know, your PayPal account will show your real name if you send somebody money. Like yeah, Mudpit. Which, which you have to you have to give that information to PayPal if you connect it to your bank account, for example. Yes. Now in this case, like Mudpig, who has a business, and that's who he said he got his PayPal. I'm assuming this is the same way because the name on the donation was JCD is asshole. That is the name I, from I, PayPal. I, I don't necessarily agree with the sentiment. Um, I, I think he's a troll, but I don't know if I'd go so far as to compare him to China. However, of uh, fascinating username. It is. And there was no note enclosed. And I did notice that the mailing address that they gave was our RPO box. So, uh, I mean, well played. JCD so is asshole. We. We sent the money to ourselves. Go grumpy old Ben's. I guess comes in the with thirty three, thirty nine. I know there must be a reason for the thirty nine. The thirty three we get the thirty nine. I mean that's uh, six cents more than thirty three, thirty three. I don't know uh, why a thirty nine. I I don't know. It's it's uh three times eleven thirteen. It could be a trigger. I don't know. But there was no it, note to I explain. Don't know. You know it. Uh, it do you think we've gotten to the point where uh, M- like MK Ultra is activating people via our show? Maybe. I mean, it's easy. We're cheap. Yeah, it's got to be cheap. I mean, no agenda has been pricing themselves out of that market. Yeah, that's I mean, you can't even get anything red unless it's over $50. And then it's just name and, and name and town or, uh, you know, that. So, I mean, if you really want to get a good message across, I mean, we're your guys. We're, we're the ones you want to go to. So we appreciate that. JCD is as ho. We do. We appreciate the donation to grumpy old Ben's coming in. And uh, I mean, everybody wanted to beat me this, I guess. Coming in next was Sir Keg of the Spring, which says, thank you for your courage. I've been listening for the past few weeks and enjoy the show. Well, thank you. Sir Keg of the Spring comes in with twenty three ninety seven, And I mean, there are, are a lot of people who seem to be just discovering us now. And I feel bad for them if they're you know, OCD, like I can be with a lot of this stuff, which is like, well, I want to hear all the back issues now because we've, we've got enough of the back issues that, uh, yeah, that, that is unfortunate, unfortunate. And well, uh, I, I fully, uh, encourage that behavior on account of our, our voices need to be heard more at the same time. There are, there are counseling services that can help with that said. I mean, I do recommend the first 40 or 50 or so shows, which are all based on one topic which are our evergreen episodes which is how grumpy old ben's came into being instead of being a uh you know a well-rounded let's talk about everything going on in the world we just picked a bunch of big topics and did like a little mini documentary bull session on them and really picked apart an individual topic without i mean we we hit on some things going on in the world at the time of course but there was a lot of really kind of more historic looking, more big picture things that I do believe will hold up where I don't know if I would listen to a news show 
a year later where those early shows you, you should be able to listen to five years later and get something. Do you out think of. that there would be any benefit in, in redoing some of those topics, uh, both for the purpose of, of being able to uh, bring in newer information? For example, we did all of those shows, uh, where we, we really drilled in on topics before everything changed because of the, the COVID situation. Yeah, the um, pandemic changed a lot. And, and, and I, I know that that changed a lot. Uh, the, you know, the long list of Biden executive orders that gets longer by the day, uh, is, is definitely bringing in, you know, like the minimum wage thing where he's now talking about $15 across the country. Uh, the, the gun control stuff that, I mean, there, there's a lot of new information we could bring in, but the other advantage doing it is that, uh, maybe some of these people wouldn't have to go all the way back to, our early shows when I had no microphone discipline and uh, it, it had to pee six times a show and oh, okay, no, none of that's changed, but yeah, but the editing uh, was much better back then. You mean you edited, right? <laughs> that would yeah. be, congratulations. That would be the editing was much better, but, and you know, what you really need to do is on all those evergreen episodes, add chapters. And that way we can just add to these topics in later shows and then just be like, Hey, you can go reference chapter five of our cashless episode to hear what we said. And here's what's changed. It would be genius. It'd be like Larry's show, that Larry show where he's always it, it like, would Hey, be I less talked work about this. to just re-record the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's probably true to go back or we need somebody like Sir Dreb Scott does for no agenda. We need the huge, huge, in grumpy old Ben's fan that's like, I want to listen to those episodes and do the chapters for you because you guys are awesome. And uh, I mean, I'm not beyond giving credits towards a guru ship for people that want to to put in the work, if I can use that cliche, because there is a lot of stuff going back to those earlier episodes that chapters could be added and that could be helpful for people going back to. And, and wouldn't it seem like we were really on the forefront i mean if we had chapters two years ago people would be like hey look <laughs> these guys knew what was going on how do they even know and uh and, you know on the topic of chapters uh the the app that that uh sir dreb scott uses to do no agenda is called Hypercatcher, and i learned more about Hypercatcher than i ever w- w- dreamed of by it- listening to the latest episode of podcasting 2.0 which yeah. i recommend if you are interested in in any more information on some of our meta discussions on podcasting. Yeah. I was listening to that while doing some of the, uh, the snow moving around over the weekend and it's uh, iOS only still right. Hypercatcher. Yes, yes, it is. And it's interesting though, where and- it allows people to suggest the chapters, which is great. And you know, which would be an awesome situation, which is you're listening on the app. You suggest a chapter, you know, after a day, we look through all of those and go, okay, yeah, this makes sense. This doesn't, and then publish it which is what that does kind of right. It gives you, it gives the host. Yeah. The- as far as I can tell, uh, the one thing I didn't quite catch and maybe I need to go re-listen or, or figure it out is uh, it seems like some, some part of the system is still staying on hypercatcher servers. And uh, they, cause they were talking about trying to, to get him paid for hosting some part of the show. Well, it could just be I, the I, JSON because they may be linking directly to him with the, uh, the chapters file. I, I don't think that's the case because there's a chapters JSON in the MP3s directory. But, but who does that point to? We, we, we that don't a- need to, <laughs> we, we don't need to live figure this out right now though. Yeah. Well, this is what tech guys do, but also coming in 
2373, another interesting amount. Again, Sir Howitzer and Dame Sexy of the Rocky Mountains. I wonder if they're getting snow. I mean, the Rocky Mountains look good with snow. The, the, Rocky, the Rocky Mountains always get snow. That's what they do. You know, I mean, we're not used to that here. And I'm worried because eventually the snow's not melting and it keeps adding on. And eventually the whole house is going to collapse because the roof is is covered with snow and ice. But I digress. The note from Sir Howitzer and Dame Sexy. Really appreciate the show. Keep the clouds away. Cheers. What you were know you? what? You, you are right. I'm sorry. I was. I was right about what? I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you with something so inconsequential. No, obviously me being right. If you're saying it is is ex- oh, extremely uh, no the the uh, um the no, the no agenda RSS does in fact point to the hypercatcher server for the chapters. the The chapters files that I saw were only updated uploaded for a couple episodes. Interesting. See, this is where the producers really matter this is when shows talk about having producers sometimes it's lip service and we we try not to be i mean the more work we can offload on you all that's great and no agenda the same way when you find somebody that can do this work and they just publish the podcast and then somebody else has complete control of what shows up in the chapters one that takes a lot of uh, trust and it's producers that, yes you know, it, it takes trust that the producers are going to get the job done. And that just happens with no agenda, which is why it is the behemoth that it is. And that's great that somebody else could just be like, I mean, you'd love that if somebody else was just like Ben Rose, I'll do the chapters for grumpy old Ben. You'd be I, like, I feel like the the pinnacle of our popularity will be the point where we have producers wanting to do it work for the show because uh, yeah, I don't want to have to do it. Yes. For those who are like, hey, I don't have five bucks a month or 20 bucks a month or a thousand bucks a month to donate. But you know what? I could listen to the show and I listened to it already. So I can do the chapters file. That would be cool. And if that's you, I mean, Darren at grumpyoldbenz.com or Ryan at grumpyoldbenz.com, reach out and uh, touch someone. I mean, not physically or anything. You could. I mean, that's that would be creepy. Yeah, they could arrest you for that. But coming in next, this is a, a first timer. As well, I mean, I think that uh, Sir Howitzer and Dame Sexy were not first timers, but uh, JCD is also obviously first timer. Sir Keg of the Spring, first timer. And Lady Mountain Jay with a first time $20 donation with a note that says, Sir Darren O, I've learned so much from your conversations with Sir Bemrose and look forward to many more to come. Thank you for your courage. Thank you, Lady Mountain Jay. You've seen a lot of her art. Speaking of No Agenda as the winning No Agenda art, and they're doing a lot of cool things over at No Agenda Shop now with all the winning art. I went through and I've won 82 of those things so far, and I had to go back through every one of them and export them as a PNG file. So the the guys over at the shop could make canvas prints out of them. And I'm like, you know, some of them I was like, these were really good. And then some that won, I was like, yeah, this was kind of garbage. I could do so much better now. But it's a lot of fun. And you should. Yes. you. I keep trying to get better. So I was happy to win Valentine's Day. It was weird because I've won, I think, three out of the last four Valentine's Day artwork. So I am just the artist of love. What can I say? I I think you just said it and I have absolutely (laughs) nothing. And I'm, in fact, pulling the ejection handle on that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. Uh, Coming in at $10, our buddy, Sir NetNed. Who says I don't want either of you to be my Valentine? You know, I'm, we're we're okay with that. Net, net. I, Don, net, net. It's a deal. He says, just saying. 
That, in fact, that could that should have been our promotion. You pay us ten dollars, and we, we will not be, be your Valentine. Valentine. Yeah, see, we're, we're missing out on all of this stuff. You know, we need to look further into the future and see when shows are coming in, and then we want to be able to manipulate your feelings based upon holidays, so you donate more. Is that uh, <laughs> truth in advertising that's, or it, marketing? That's the the No Agenda newsletter model. Yes, uh, sir. Net Ned says, "Keep up the good work." And, and you too, Net Ned. He's a he's a no agenda artist as well. See, there's a lot of no agenda artists, and uh, some do better work than others. CSB, where it's, are you? It's almost like it's a community. It is. And another first timer coming in today. Sometimes I feel like I'm missing out on the whole artist thing. By the way, because it, you don't it, do it, art, it, or well, yeah, it's a total lack of any kind of artistic talent combined with uh, a, a lack of style. So I can't even <laughs> tell what art is good. You just need Photoshop. Well, you mean you're colorblind, which also will will uh, skew everything on the finished Yeah, but product. I mean, you're you're real blind and well, yeah. somehow managed to put out art. So what the hell is everyone else's excuse? Yeah, you just close one eye and play in Photoshop. That's all it is. I mean, I'm not even really good at Photoshop. I mean, there are some people, uh, Burt Monroy, I don't know if he's still around. He produced a bunch of books. He was really involved with Revision 3. He did a show on Revision 3, and I think he was on... Uh, Leo shows and probably on some of the stuff going back to when it was actually on a television network, when like the screensavers and things like that. And he could do nearly photorealistic landscapes just in Photoshop. And it was like, this is like unprecedented voodoo that the guy was pulling off. So, I mean, check his stuff out. If you're interested oh, yeah. in what you can produce in Photoshop, Burt Monroy is, is the guy. There's there's some amazing stuff you can come up with in Photoshop. For example, you could uh you know, you start by taking a picture of a uh, the receipt from a lobster dinner and and go and play in Photoshop for a bit and suddenly you have proof of Russian collusion. <laughs> hey, I when when we were still going to ball games, when they started using just looking at a paper ticket as proof of where you should be allowed in the stadium, it doesn't take a genius to figure out you can change the section and add whatever the hell you want. And for the oh, longest yeah. time, they weren't checking barcodes. I mean, the barcodes are rougher, but without the barcode, you could just change a few numbers and be like, nope, in the front row. I used to do that with uh, uh, Safeco Field where they'd say, you know, you're only allowed on this level. And yes. I, I had I had had a VIP level one once and I managed to get the font exactly right. And I just modified the ticket as I went in. Yep. And they look at it and go, all right, <laughs> they wave you right on in, which yep. is, a, which is a beautiful. Hey, we're not recommending you defraud any major sports franchise, but we're also not telling you not to do it. Uh, yeah. We're telling you how, but we're not recommending it. Right. Exactly. Uh, coming in at $5 and one cent. And this was my favorite donation for today comes from Cameron Hunter. Because I put out that, you know, right now, D.E. made us a fun fact Friday. He is the executive producer at $5. So Cameron Hunter came in with $5.01 and said, I call Metis's $5 and raise him, which is basically, screw you, Metis. I'm going to beat you, which I like. I thought it was a good attitude. And uh, uh, it, I, I encourage this kind of competition. Yes. I mean, because of this. And then, of course, D.E. Metis comes in at $5. He was the original and but the lowest and on the, the list. only one who cared before you started whining. So I got to give credit for that. Yeah. So I think everybody is getting an executive producer credit on today's show. 
Normally we kind of split those up, but I thought this was everybody did. This was the epitome of executive producers who all banded together, saw the little show that could and went, Hey, we want to help out. And everybody is very much. And then they donated to us anyway. Right. Well, because we're doing good work. We're doing the Lord's work. We're spreading the word about Microsoft registry and why my computer doesn't work. And uh, it's all sorts of good stuff. People love to hear that other. I I think that's one thing when it comes to tech stuff. Even if people have never had the problems you're talking about, as long as you have a problem, too, they've had one at some point and they're like, yeah, glad it's not just me. Even podcasters have Windows problems. (laughs) Okay, CSB. That's true. I think he's been off the grid because he works for a uh, intelligence agency or something. I'm not I, I, sure. I think he's I think he's off the grid so that he can do some digital detox, which frankly is is a very healthy thing to do. And I I'm, I totally am OK with that. Everybody's been trying to get you to digitally detox for like months. I know. And I keep disappointing. But thank you. D.E. made us a fun fact Friday, although his daughter, Leela, totally runs that show. He just kind of shows up like you do. And he looks pretty, and that's uh, that's about what he does. But you should check out their show. And uh, if you want to take part in this value-for-value value model that we have here at Grumpy Old Benz, go to grumpyoldbenz.com slash donate if you really want to add the slash donate. And you can get all the information. The donate button goes to PayPal. You can do a one-time donation. You can do a monthly donation. The QR code and the Bitcoin address, of course, go to Bitcoin. And the snail mail address, which DE Metis used to send a check directly from his bank, will allow you to send anything you want in the snail mail route. It is all very much appreciated, and we don't tell you what to send in. We don't set a price. There is no price that is too small. There is no price that is too large. No amount that I should say, not price. Whatever you got out of the show and whatever you can afford, and if there are things that you want to add into the show, if you have a some kind of track that you think would make the show better, feel free to send it in. Can't guarantee we're going to use it. Artwork the same way. You all know by now what elements a podcast can and cannot use. And if you got a particular skill and you can produce something you think we might find useful or cool, please reach out to us, Darren or Ryan at grumpyoldbenz.com. As as Adam Curry puts it on on multiple podcasts, uh, we we appreciate your time, your talent or your treasure. Yes, they're all very much integrated together. And there are some people that never want to deal with anything else and just like, hey, I have no time, but I can send you some cash. That's great. And then there are people like John Fletcher, for instance, who did our opening song and the grumpy old Ben scream. And is always there if he did the guru music for what we need when we guru people. And I mean, Jay Finley has been the first, hopefully not the only, but John Fletcher was there when it's like, hey, we need this. And it just showed up. So we appreciate John Fletcher of the Hog Story Fletchers. He does a show on Mondays and, uh, and Thursdays. And I have a shout out to the Troll Room who are always there trolling, uh, throwing us lines, uh, generally uh, trying to make me want to kick them during the show. Um, <laughs> you guys are doing great work. And Fletcher says he is here to troll. I mean, hogstory.net. And I did. I called into their store, uh, into their uh, podcast the other day after he totally derailed whatever you were saying because you kept saying choke point <laughs> and i'm like no congratulations and he's like that's why i don't read the troll room during the show yeah that, that, well, yeah but and, and that's why you should read the the 
That's why you should read the troll room during the show, because that was better content than whatever the hell I was talking about at the time. Yeah, it was great. It cracked me up. So that was really, again, we, we do the show for ourselves, which is really the only reason you do the show. Kind of. It's like, I want to be entertained. Entertain me. That's all I need. Absolutely. What other stories you got? I mean, I've got a few more. Uh, I mean, there's always something I've got a, uh, there was a study at our house Inter- university in Denmark and the university of college of London. Uh, where they went ahead and uh, you, you've heard of the GDPR. The G- it's a, a GDPR. The, there's a law in Europe that says that uh, companies are not allowed to advertising. Fuck you. Um, or at least, you know, when they, they can't collect information without your knowledge. Oh, data protection. Okay, sure. Yes. yes. Data yes. protection laws. They, um, GDPR requires a number of things like uh, you must be able to opt out. You must be able to, uh, decide that you don't want the site tracking you, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there was a, a study that came out of a couple of universities who scraped the 10,000 most popular websites in the UK in order to determine whether or not they had reached GDPR compliance. I mean, it's been two years since the thing went into effect. I think that uh, you can generally expect websites to have have reached a point where they should be compliant don't you think yeah well by now and they are way more into this than i mean we're we're not in this at all in the united states the united states doesn't have anything like this law in fact uh the the general state of the united states is uh is screw the consumer uh our big silicon valley companies are going to collect whatever information that they want and you get none of it they just can make money off of you congratulations right. and they'll donate so, it to the democrat campaign USA, usa usa U.S. Uh, so uh, Europe uh, takes a dimmer view, and I'm I'm not I, I just I'm not a hundred percent sold that the GDPR is a good law, but it definitely is is something that uh, makes Silicon Valley chafe, and I appreciate that. Now, is this just uh, the UK now, or the EU as well? Well, this- the okay, so this uh, the law is the EU, which uh, interestingly enough might not apply to the UK anymore. I'm not real sure. I think the UK has some form of it, but I don't know the details taking Brexit into account. Uh, what I do know is that a lot of companies, because of course, uh, anytime that you get, have to deal with regulatory compliance, it's a lot of work on the part of the companies. A lot of companies have started, uh, they've started, uh, bringing on uh, what's called a, a, con- a compliance management platform oh, of course. or consent consent management platform. They're, they're going out to third parties who specialize in uh, you use our platform and you will have GDPR compliance. Um, what the researchers found is that only 11% of the CMPs meet the minimal requirements of the GDPR. How many? Uh, 11%. That's not a lot. So one in nine. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's not quite compliant. You must comply. That's, that, and one of the reasons for this is that there is almost no enforcement and uh, there are a ton of incentives to design for sites in order to pay lip service to it without complying at all. Uh, not least of which is that, of course, everybody, you know, data is is the oil of the 21st century and the more data you can collect, the more money you make. So. There's a lot of incentives to continue tracking people and collecting this stuff and almost no enforcement of it. So it doesn't make it's not surprising at all. Um, For example, the GDPR uh, requires that the consent to track must be explicit. 
you are not allowed to have a by using this site you agree to these conditions type of clause it, you must the explicit usually is the form of of they require you to pop up a dialog box and have the user affirmatively click that yes i am totally okay with you tracking or something like that um another requirement of the gdpr is that if you offer uh, a way to accept all tracking, you must offer a way to reject all traffic or all tracking, which is at least as easy to accept. Um, tracking includes browser fingerprinting, Ooh. for example. Yeah. Uh, what the study found is uh, that more than one third of all the sites that they surveyed use implicit consent, which is by using this site, we're going to track you. Right. Also known as no consent at all. Uh, over half have no method of rejecting all um, of those half. Most of the CMPs, when you say, I want to customize my privacy settings, they give you a very long array of boxes and you're in for wearing out a mouse in order to try to opt out of everything. <laughs> right. Make it hard. Um, Bury them in data. Uh, even the ones that do have some kind of reject all will put it onto a uh, deep into a sub page hidden behind a link <laughs> 14 rather pages than it. rather than right next to their front page. Except all right. Um, they found that only 12% of sites make reject all as easy as accept all. Uh, so what effectively what this study and I'll go ahead and include it in the notes. I don't know if we have to go through every line, but what this study determined is that uh, GDPR is not being enforced. And when you don't enforce something, nobody's following it. So great law, neat idea. Let's try to keep keep companies from tracking people in Europe, but not really being executed well. Right. Well, it's like a vast majority of the laws here. You can keep adding laws. It's like the gun problem in Chicago. You can keep adding more and more laws. If you don't enforce any of them, then it doesn't really matter what laws on the books. People don't care when it comes to this kind of stuff. It gets so very sticky. It gets so very nuanced when it comes down to because I've noticed this when using a VPN, because if you go on a VPN through a site that has one of these laws, you get way different things for like cookies and that than you do if you're on the United States IP address because they're popping up. And the, we know geofencing's bullshit because geofencing rarely works. Again, VPNs can just completely screw with that system. Right. So it makes that useless that they don't really know where you're coming from. So this concept like this was the same thing when we said Poland, if they're going to have free speech laws, that says if it's completely legal to say something in Poland then Twitter has to leave it up or face, you know, multi-thousand dollar fines, then I'll just start going through a Polish VPN server because then they're forced to do that allegedly, kind of. But who is making sure that they enforce these laws? I mean, imagine if there actually had to be some kind of government agency that tried to visit every website to check compliance. I mean, there is a government agency and that, in fact, is their their task that they've been handed and they're not doing it. It's like three people sitting in a basement. Uh, maybe going, it is. I don't know. <laughs> it's like the Actually, IT no, this is the EU. So it's probably 350 people, all of whom sit around and go, uh, what are we supposed to do again? Because <laughs> uh, socialism, government jobs are free, handed out like candy and they don't actually accomplish anything. Yeah, well, that's what they want here. The, I mean, the one other uh, useful bit of information that I found from these studies uh, and I'm, uh, is that uh, the the median number of third party trackers found on these sites. Uh, what do you think? Uh, like, how many trackers do you think the average no, or not not mean the median? How many trackers do you think are on these sites? 
so like different companies, different advertising. Yeah, um, different different companies that are being handed your third your data to third parties. I would say on an average site, um, fifty to a hundred. 315. Whoa. Okay. That's the median. That's so that, that, by the way, they, they studied 10,000. So if you sort them from most to least, then number 5,000 in that list had 315 trackers. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But we're not the, we're not the data. We're not the product. No, no, don't worry about that at all. And, and half of them had more than 315. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, you, you are the product and, um, the GDPR, I, like I said, great idea. I wasn't sure that I particularly liked all of the details of it, but apparently it's not a big thing because it's not being enforced. Yep. And as DigiGuru pointed out in the troll room, and and yes, like I said, this didn't take into account Brexit. UK is not the EU. Uh, but uh, like I said, they, they checked the top 10 most popular websites in the UK, but I would be willing to bet that most of those are probably accessible from the EU. They don't actually have a great firewall of Britain that I'm aware of. Ooh, that would be good. Let's do that. Let's well, they, they've they been trying to set one up for years just to filter out the porn. Yes, which also failed. I mean, we've noticed that was a big story early on in Grumpy Old Ben's was they're trying to do this and force people to go spend five bucks or something to buy a license to view Internet porn. And then uh, it didn't work. I mean, again, geofencing is the issue. And websites are located in different countries. The laws across different countries are different, and it's impossible to keep people out unless you do some massive measures and have a populace who are unaware of how to get around those measures, which I mean, now it's like parental stuff on your computer. You know, if you got a kid that's like eight years old or maybe even younger, they're going to figure out the parental stuff and just disable it if they want to. So having, you know, net nanny or something like that, are those still products? Are they still a thing? that I, system <laughs> i don't know they adam brought up a, a, a product that i had not heard of yesterday called ultra surf and i was reading about that this morning that was uh uh it's a a website proxy and if if you use this thing by the way you you have to trust ultra surf because what it does is it sets it, it's a, a program that does not write any files to your hard drive but when you run it and then launch a browser it will proxy all of your HTTP requests through the UltraSurf proxies, which has a massive network of IPs that change. Uh, they say the the IPs change up to ten thousand times per minute. Damn, well, so it's um, kind of like the Winston privacy thing, then. Just yeah, it's it's very much like that, and it's very much like a dynamic VPN. And the entire idea is that you uh, you use it to get around firewalls, which are busy trying to filter content. Um, the other thing that I saw when I was looking this up was instructions for corporate IT people of how to defeat the UltraSurf. So, <laughs> right. um, it, it's a war out there. It is a war out there. And uh, I've got two things just quick. One is, uh, was an article on Forbes. When iMessages aren't private, government raids Apple iCloud in a dark web drug investigation. The details aren't really important. The important thing is if you use iMessage, and you back them up to the cloud, they can be given to yeah, law enforcement. I just wanted to point that part out because a lot of people think, hey, well, iMessage, it's end-to-end encrypted. I'm perfectly safe. You are, unless you're yeah, backing yeah. up your messages. Well, that's true of everything that's end-to-end encrypted is that wherever you store it, th- that becomes a point of attack. And end-to-end encrypted on your messages, but unencrypted on your hard drive, and then you back it up to the cloud? Yes, 
<laughs> yes. I mean, you, I'm just, anything you back up unencrypted to the cloud is accessible. You would think this would be to go without saying, but obviously not. People are still surprised by it. You have to understand well, how these systems work. That's why I only use SMS, because then I know that everybody's <laughs> listening. Yes, that is like going outside and screaming the message out, which is why, I mean, not the sole reason, but I made a comment um, a couple of weeks ago that I told my wife, like, you know what, this we were always texting back and forth when she's at work. And most of the time we're both using Google voice. So it's like, okay, I understand where the ears are, where the eyes are in this situation. So uh, I sent her a invite for no agenda social. Now we can private message and only Aaron or can decide see what we're doing. If he wants to, uh, and I saw that she was on there. Yeah. It seems safer. That, that by the way is a great idea because these these individual sites, if if you want something private, I mean, it's not entirely end to end encrypted per se, right? But you can send private information that is only accessible to the admin of the site. And if you don't trust someone like Ariner or Adam Curry who run No Agenda Social, go make your own, and right. then that's only accessible to people who run the site, which is you, right? Right. And it's been, you know, it has been suggested now that the Podfather said they are taking the uh, no agenda social and going to lock it to 10,000 users, which it's closing in on that, although it's not active users. So I don't know if they're going to do any kind of script that if uh, an account has been inactive for X amount of time, it'll be booted off or whatever. But people, have been I, I asking, doubt it's going to get that complicated unless Aaron or sets something up. Yes. Well, people have been asking like, well, what about a grumpy old Ben's uh, instance? And I'm like, you know, that costs a lot of money. And I think it was Sir Omaha like, well, has Aaron or ever said, I'm like, no. And I tagged Aaron or in that. I know he wouldn't answer. I doubt he'll answer. Um, or maybe privately he will. I'm I mean, just what, like, what is, what, what does it cost? cost? Is, yeah. It, what it costs is, is CPU infrastructure or it, it costs CPU and it costs hard drive space and it costs bandwidth. And if, if we have, have all of that, then I, yes, I've already looked into how to set up a Pleroma. In fact, I did set one up locally on my own system and no, I'm not going to give you the address because it's accessible only to myself and the people that I invite, but I did oh, set it up just to me. see if I could. Oh, come on, dude. Let me in. I, I don't even like you. <laughs> I've, I've come to that conclusion over the last 135 episodes, 134 episodes, but this is an interesting thought. I'm like, I don't know what it costs. I mean, if it's something that we could, like Ariner is finally going to open this up. This see, this will be Ariner's downfall is he's finally said he was going to open this up to donations and then they'll cut the amount of people off. And Ariner's be like, no, more people, more donations. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're killing me, Curry. I want more people. And I think, uh, you know, with a service like that, you could do something quite easily like, OK, if you have 10,000 people would, you know, 10 bucks per person per year cover the whole system or would it have to be more and i don't think it has to be an extremely expensive thing but uh it, there would be some bills to cover so uh i mean we'll look into that because there may be a need if no agenda does shut down that everybody that's in the no agenda sphere is gonna be like well what's the next best thing to be yeah. and maybe it's good to be that but i and, and, and by the way this is not you know trying to get around what you know adam's restrictions this is correct exactly what adam was suggesting he said uh we've got everybody at no agenda social but uh, you can federate you can always join another instance and still listen in and follow people and that's the entire point of the fediverse and 
I, I will say that um, only a few days ago, I made the mistake of accidentally clicking on the federated timeline link, and it's <laughs> still cool. exactly the same quality that we've come to expect. But if you follow people in another instance, then you're going to start getting their sphere intersecting with yours. And it, it, it actually works pretty well. If you're following people, if you're not following people, find, discovery is still awful in the Fediverse, but that's what we have podcasts for. Right. Uh, certainly mofos like we need a grumpy old Ben's fun drive for a server setup. Maybe, maybe again, if people are more enough interested in that, I don't think they are quite yet because everybody's still using no agenda social. And that's free kind of at this point. But uh, there's also thoughts of uh, Roman saying the like what Adam's doing with podcasting, doing the lightning payments per message. You know, that could be an interesting concept, too. But then again, the people that really uh, send a lot of messages that maybe wouldn't want to be on it all depends, I guess. It, what it, it would decrease the number of memes that I saw. And you would like that. So that could be yeah, a maybe service. that's good. That could be a service that could absolutely be a service. some of the memes are really high quality and. Some of them are low quality and some of them are just really, really esoteric. Yes. And like to what does this refer? <laughs> yeah. It's like, if it's not clear, I don't want to see it. Come on. Either it has to be good and make me laugh yeah. or only funny memes allowed. Right, right. And who's the arbiter of funny? Uh, well, Sir Bemrose, obviously. Um, there was one story which has been covered in other places in the, the details I thought were a little bit off when no agenda covered it. Cause I don't remember they, this is a story of the, Hacker trying to poison the town by breaching the water facility, which I, I thought was I, did great. I hear about this one? I, I don't know. This was the case of a water treatment facility that unfortunately was really bad at security when it came to their computer system. Um, the town was in uh, Oldsmar, Florida, is the town that the hacker got into the system. Uh-huh. Florida, of course. Yeah, Florida. <laughs> and tried to increase the concentration of sodium hydroxide, otherwise known as lye and caustic soda, into the yeah. water, which there's a certain amount that goes in and it's safe. And that is allegedly how your water gets clean and, you know, all the bad bacteria and stuff that are in the water, especially in places well, like if, Florida. If your water is acidic, then adding that does, in fact, clean it. Yes. The, no. the only downside to putting this, the, so the only downside to putting this stuff in is that it changes the pH of the water. And if your pH is too far off of neutral, then the water becomes a problem. Um, uh, the, this is the opposite of acidic, but same thing. It'll mess you up if you drink it. Yes. Now, the attack on this system wasn't much of an attack. And I didn't hear mention if I, I could be wrong. Maybe I missed it on the no agenda coverage. They were saying something about the Microsoft system. The reality was, according to bleeping the, computer, a, what, the, the, where does Microsoft come into my drinking water? Suddenly, I'm really, really concerned about my health. Well, this is even worse because what they were using at this water treatment plant, and it seems like it was a small group of people that worked there that had access to this. But in order to control these systems remotely, and so obviously the one the systems were running Windows, which should <laughs> that should scare everybody but yes now now you've combined the words windows and remotely controlled yes and even worse in order to remote control this computer that was doing this part of the system where it could adjust the levels of these chemicals in the water 
they had team viewer on and that's what they were using what (laughs) team viewer yes i use team viewer to control my parents computer because it's easy and they their computer can't kill anybody yes i i use team viewer uh when i want to install malware on somebody's computer (laughs) this is what was set up now the the best part of this was it seems like maybe this was uh, information given by an ex-employee because uh, I guess they weren't updating the team viewer credentials. And it turned out that, uh, you know, they stopped using team viewer six months ago at the water treatment plant, but uh, nobody deleted it. <laughs> nobody removed it. I mean, I'm you laughing, know, I believe, but I oh. believe every part of this, that, that a municipality would be using an, out of date system that was inherently insecure at the beginning because they figured, eh, nobody's going to hack us and we just won't tell anyone about it. Right. And that works. That obscurity works as security for quite a while, right up until some ex employee or somebody in the know with an ax to grind decides to poison your entire water supply. I I don't know if they did the right thing with, you know, introducing lye into the water is just going to change the pH a bit, but all you need is just, you know, put some acid rain out and it it fixes it right up. Um, What they really should have done if they wanted to get the entire town thrown into a a butt puckering panic that (laughs) destroyed everything was to put one molecule of COVID into the water. No, maybe. I think that's probably already in the water though in Florida. I could be wrong. Don't tell people that they'll shut down the economy again. (laughs) This is, uh, oh, this is just being so bad at security. I mean, the problem with a program like TeamViewer, from what I understand, just on my basic knowledge of somebody that's used the program is it's really good at getting around firewalls and stuff like that because it just kind of works over the uh, port 80. So it kind of just acts like a web page and you're giving a lot of control having this on a system that you're especially the one that you're then sharing the username and password with multiple people and then you fire people and then you just let it sit for months without updating the information and it can control something that is affecting your town's water that everybody consumes Uh, yeah Uh, if this is the only town where this sort of thing could happen i i would be surprised yeah yeah, we'll, we'll be hearing more about this, I'm sure, from. Uh, I, and, and now that the idea is out there, you, you start boiling your water, people. You know, Windows remote management at least is a little harder to break into the remote, remote desktop stuff. But uh, I digress. A little bit, yeah. I guess maybe they didn't want to pay for Windows Pro, which I still you want to talk about getting me pissed off. That is the, the biggest thing there is that, oh, you have to pay more for Windows Pro to use remote yeah, desktop you you have to yeah you have to pay more in order to use remote desktop or uh uh what's the a group policy mm-hmm. the, the, that one is the infuriating thing to me the fact that windows home does not give you access to group policy which is where they store all of the really useful settings like shit that should be in the control panel like how about you not interrupt me while i'm playing minesweeper in order to reboot there there's a setting for that it's in group policy which is not available at home it doesn't say necessarily they weren't using windows pro net net but if they were then they're really dumb because you didn't if i recall the story on no agenda yesterday uh what they were using was windows 7 oh well they're probably an unupdated version of uh 
Well, there, there are no updated versions of Windows 7 anymore. But I mean, it probably wasn't even the most recent before they went end of life. Oh, quite possible. Yeah. Like, well, we set this up 10 years ago. Whenever Windows 7 first came out, that's probably uh, they don't need we don't need a firewall. No, nothing. Security is irrelevant. Don't worry. You're all your bits yes. belong to us. But I digress. We have plenty I, of more to talk should. about, but we'll just have to do it come Friday. There's always more. Yeah, stuff. I've got. Uh, I, I actually have notes on MasterCard bringing crypto to or native crypto. Um, and uh, I had some stuff about border agents now being able to search your phone in the first circuit court. Ooh, fun. But we're going to tease those for next time. Yeah, some crypto talk. I did crypto talk. So we'll, uh, I mean, I hopefully, maybe by uh, Friday, I can, um, may, it'll be close. I'm still trying to get up to the amount where I'll get a payout on my Ethereum to get my 80 bucks or whatever for running my cards all night, every night for the past how many weeks. But it's still money out of nothing. And I know I'm paying for electricity. And, it's, and your chicks for free. Yes. Indeed. With that said, I'm not Mark Knopfler, but I wish I was because he has a lot of really cool guitars and obviously and money aforementioned chicks for free. <laughs> I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac. We're going to be blowing some more snow tomorrow, but uh, it's better than taking some lead. And from America's left coast, where I'm thinking warm thoughts and sitting a few feet away from a palm tree covered in snow. I'm Ryan Bemros. Don't forget the cat. Thank <laughs> you.